This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's first clinical sports micronutrition brand. Available now at selected pharmacies, including Terry White, Kenmart, specialty sports nutrition stores, and online at pillarperformance.com.au. Welcome to episode number 204 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Big show coming at you. We'll recap some running weeks. Thanks to Patreon supporters. Go through some running news. Uh, World Marathon Majors at back. We'll be talking about Berlin. Listen to Question Moose on the Loose. And then a bit of a special interview this week with the uh, 1990 Berlin Marathon winner, Steve Monaghetti. He's going to be joining us a bit later on. Welcome to my co-host up in Canberra, Bradley Croker. Fresh off your first vaccination, how are you going? Yeah, so far so good. Had it at, uh, what, 5 o'clock this afternoon, so a couple of hours ago. Still feel good. I was concerned you might have been out for this week's episode. Had some people on standby just in case you couldn't make it. No, no, I'm feeling pretty good and, uh, yeah, up and about after chatting with Mona this morning. That was good fun, wasn't it? That was great fun, yeah. We'll talk a bit more about that at the end of the show when we kind of get to introducing that. But, um, yeah, this is the second hour I'm spending with you on school, probably hour and a half might be three hours for me and you on skype today see how we go let's be honest it was a bit hard it was a bit harder to get excited about tonight knowing that we're replacing mona with moose you two boys didn't say shit during that interview mona just owned it it does doesn't it? i listened to both all you did was just recap things from the book and then mona told the exact stories brilliantly he did Still have to ask him questions. Hey, he didn't remember. He didn't remember he received a message from Bob Hawke. Yeah, we got him on a couple of things, Moose. Did you hear that? Like, we pulled him up on a few. It was 31 years ago. You read the book two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Come on. He was 31 um, years ago. Well, but, it was his, but it was his life. <laughs> It was oh, it was got, very yeah. privileged, like it was so good. We will, we'll talk about it now. So pretty much I've been reading Steve Monaghetti's book, which was published in 96. I sent a copy of it to Croaks to read it, and then he um, has a chapter about when he won Berlin in 1990. So we thought, hey, Monarch, do you want to come on and we'll just talk about that chapter, which we did, and you'll hear that at the end of this week's episode. And then we also wanted to talk about London Marathon because that's coming up this weekend. So then we did a bit of a separate one talking about his two second place finishes in the London Marathon. And 
Yeah, as mm. Moose said, Croaks and I had plenty of notes, but Mono just just talks. It was it was pretty much like listening to the audio book version of the chapters. Hey, Brad, because they just with way more oh. detail. Yeah, like, but how cool was it though? Having book club by chat chatting to the guy who the book's about. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those ones where it's good that we've got the podcast because you can hit people up and ask them to do stuff like that. Whereas if we didn't have a podcast and you just like sent Mona an email saying, can you please talk to me for 90 minutes about your book and if a couple of chapters in there, he'd be like, no, go away. You're a creep. Um, but yeah, very privileged to have the opportunity with him uh, today. And hopefully the listeners enjoy that a bit later on. Welcome to my other co-host. I thought you might have been out tonight as well, Moose. The baby's got to be arriving any day now, doesn't it? Welcome to you down in Anglesey. The, the due date is Friday. Friday. Um, okay, I've still got a few days. Yeah. First so one's usually late too, isn't it? Uh, all I remember from the midwife appointment thing was that like 5 to 10% of babies are born on the due date, which means that 90 to 95% are not born on the due date. That's that's all I remember. Well, hopefully I remember a few other things, but that's the main takeaway. How many of those 90% though are born after the due date? Uh, I think the tendency is to be a bit later for the first one, I believe. Or maybe it's just that it goes for longer, the labour. I think you I told think... me that in your croaks, that the first one always goes a bit late. Well, not always, but I think if you looked at the stats, I'd say more pregnancies go late than early, particularly the first one. What, more? Like, why would they have a... Wouldn't they start changing their due dates? Well... Wouldn't they start adjusting the due date? Isn't it, like, no, isn't it just if, 40 weeks after you've like been impregnated? No, impregnated. Impregnated. <laughs> impregnated. I don't think you've done much impregnating in your life, um, have you? Well, you've least, done a little more than me. At least two, yeah. <laughs> they normally, don't they normally get the date off like the, the first scan you have? Yeah, no, the day goes yeah. like 40 weeks after conception, isn't it? No, I think they normally do a scan and it sort of tells them how old the fetus is. A, a date, I think it's a dating scan, they call it, and then yeah, they sort right. of work out from that point. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about running, yeah. not pregnancies. Uh, you want to kick us off, Crokes? Tell us about your run a week. Uh, yeah, pretty uneventful. Another week of generally jogging. Um, Monday, got out in the afternoon for an hour uh, around Mulligan's 4.16s. Uh, actually bumped into Rory Hunter and Jai Edwards um, at the end of the run. They must have started about 10 minutes after me, so I didn't see them on the la- on the loop. I did two loops, they did one, but then they stopped and did some strides. So they were pretty much finishing up all their strides uh, when I finished. So it was good to catch up with them and um, have a bit of a chat. Uh, so I might, yeah, might sort of make Mondays a bit of a regular run out there at some point, should be cool. So it was Monday, Tuesday, uh, ran from home. Um, and did sort of the loop down to Yerriby Pond um, and down to the golf course and back up. So it's a, pretty much a 14K loop. Uh, felt actually really good on this run. I averaged 406s. It was um, predominantly downhill for the first, uh, what, 5K, and then it's sort of flat around the lake, and then it's sort of a bit of a uphill grind the last 4K or so. Um, so that was that. Uh, Wednesday, I'd say, turned into – Wednesday was probably a bit of a session in a way. I, I ran um, – 21 and a half K averaging exactly four minute K's with like the last, yeah, the last few K was pretty solid. So it was just a good, like strong aerobic run. Um, but I would class that as a session. Like I was definitely working, um, you know, towards the, towards the back end of it. Um, Thursday, 
45 minutes, uh, four 11s, um, around sort of lunchtime. Uh, yeah, and then Friday I, I um, decided I was going to do the run where I didn't actually get any feedback at all. So all I had it on was um, on my screen for heart rate, but I didn't have a heart rate strap, so I pretty much had no data at all, which was sort of fun. I just sort of tried to go, all right, I'm just going to run, keep this like really controlled the whole way and just see what it is at the end. And um, yeah, average 421s for um, 14.4K. So yeah, it was. I think I'm going to do a bit more of that or maybe a bit more heart rate sort of stuff um, once I get back into session. So I think this... So Friday is the 1st of October. So I think I'm going to make the 1st of October the day that I start um, back doing some sessions. So might do a little bit of uh, a little bit of heart rate stuff initially um, while I'm sort of coming back. So I've done a session for seven weeks. So although I've been running anywhere between 70 and 115K a week, like you definitely lose some sort of fitness during that time. Um, so probably just need to ease back into sessions and not be too aggressive. Uh, then Saturday afternoon did pretty much the same loop that I did on like the Tuesday, the run from home, um, down to the pond and that's so a four thirteens for an hour. And then yesterday afternoon, uh, an hour 45 at 408. So 25.4 K, um, for a week of 115. So yeah, just another week of sort of rolling around, um, sort of getting a little bit sick of just jogging so i think i need to just get a bit more structure back into the weeks which um yeah we'll hopefully start on friday i'll give the next after the jab today just give the next few days just light running and start back friday what will be the first workout back uh i think i might actually go down to thoroughbred park the horse the horse track i mean i mean there for ages but such a nice surface and it's uh it's about 1800 meters around uh so i think i might do like a 10 to 15 minute sort of tempo and maybe some 30 second reps afterwards yeah and like probably just not probably, worry too much about pace no nah, like i'll wear the heart rate monitor but i reckon i'll probably start off around 330s um and just sort of you know see see what see what my heart rate does around 330s um and but get to the end of the tempo feeling like pretty good and then just roll some 30 second reps i think that's a good um good first session back do you reckon you should get a coach <laughs> Well, maybe I thought about it occasionally, but then I'm like, well, am I training for anything? Like, you know, in a way, like I want to start back sessions just to break up, you know, not running, not just jogging every day. But in terms of what I'm training for, I don't really have a specific goal at the moment. Mm. Why do, yeah, you, want coach, the, do you want to coach it, me, Moose? No, I don't. I would never coach you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you would. Oh, you'd love. You'd love the challenge. Only if you're committed to, to, to not retiring every three or four months, then I might consider it. Um, oh. But no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I still think you can run fast again. Oh, thanks, That's what, yeah. no, I do think that. So yeah. this is like it, it frustrates me when you go through all these weird patches. Because yeah. um, so, I want time to, to go through a weird patch, isn't it? Like he croaks the same once a race is back locked in. Yeah, you can that's, then commit that's and then true. Ask, ask for the program. At the perfect time for a coach right now, I think races are starting to get locked in. Like we just watched Berlin, like all the overseas races, they're starting to announce international travel, that kind of stuff. Like we, we should be getting motivated right now, I reckon. Yeah. Like, my, like motivation, like my body's still like, it's better than it was. Like I actually got treatment again on, was it Thursday? 
Um, and I've been doing like heaps of exercises. So I've got about seven or eight exercises, which I split over two days. So I do something every single day. And it's generally like it's glute and hip stability sort of based. Um, some days I go out and like I still have that sort of glute pain. And, you know, it's like given my body's still not 100%, like my motivation's actually pretty high um, because I feel like once I get on top of this, which hopefully just – doing these exercises, getting regular treatment, I'm not too far away because, like, if I can go out and run for an hour 45 and only the first 20 minutes I'm having some discomfort through my, my hip and back, like, I'm obviously not injured. Like, if I have no pain for the last hour and a, hour and a half. So, you know, there's, there's obviously nothing severe, severe going on, but I just need to get on top of that before I could really be confident of committing to a, you know, especially a marathon block. Yes. And then why don't you win Canberra or something? Aim for that in April. Maybe. So I've never never won a marathon, and yeah, uh, home, Trav home, home. Trav does give me a lot of shit about not having won a marathon when he's won a couple. So um, home course, yeah. Mm, don't maybe. travel. Know that course. Be good for anyone. business. <sighs> good for your good brand. Business. Yeah. Get on the back of the Canberra uh, Times newspaper. Yeah, yep. So anyway, it's a possibility. We'll see. But motive, yeah, as I said, motivation's high. Um, just yeah, need races to come back and and need to just get back into the structure. But um, yeah, like a coach, probably not a bad idea to take the, the guesswork out of it. Have you got a short list? Who would you approach? Um, so I'd probably hit up Ben again. Um, like I still keep in touch with with Ben, even though he's over in New Zealand. So. I'd probably get his um, his advice. And actually, before lockdown started, when, when I first started jogging, I said, oh, what should I do? He's like, oh, I can just jog for a few weeks and then just start like a bit of a strength phase. So like, you know, hilly tempos, that sort of thing, which I was going to start doing. But then um, I sort of, with lockdown, I sort of got a bit unmotivated. Uh, so he'd be up there. Oh, you're um, in Canberra. You're in Canberra. So what about Philo? Oh, no. I've sort of been so, so I've been coached by both those guys before. Um, you're, a bit of a feel, coach. you're a bit of a coach yeah. for, aren't you? I had a few coaches in my life. Do you just coaches, like actually. do you create drama with the coach and then you have like a breakup or uh, you just no. shop shop the field a little bit? No, it's just Get when I when, when I reti- so <laughs> no, I just re- I retire. So then when oh, I come yeah, back, that's it's just a fresh start. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, Philo's more sort of middle distance stuff and, um, yeah, Dick's guys are all, no, I guess Dick's predominantly sort of middle distance as well. He's got a couple well, of Philo's got, but... Philo's got Michael Roger. Yeah, he does. That's true. But, um, no, look, Moose, you'd be up there. Like I definitely, uh, like respect, like the way that you go about your coaching and, this, and like your philosophy is very similar to what I believe in um, that, you know, less is more and, and training to a specific zone and not smashing workouts. So there's a lot, to, there's a lot to like about you as a coach. Um, oh, but, that's uh, some big words, Brady. That's going to be, yeah. I can quote that on the run strong website, but just put that as like the title. When people <laughs> I might go to, just claim him as an athlete when already. When people go to the homepage, put that on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll write a review for a couple of months free coaching, Moose. Maybe you could be like an ambassador, Brad. Yeah, maybe. An ambassador for Runstrong. Anyway. Last... One social media post a week, couple of Strava plugs here and there. 
You'll be right. Mm. Tell us about your uh, week, Moose, and your knee. Well, yeah, I ran this week. So I ran on Saturday. I ran – I had a physio session at Ali's house, and then I ran around the block. I did 11 by 30 seconds jog, and I think I did 45 seconds walk. I think that was it. And it was, like, very weird, actually, because I hadn't run on it at all. Like, in the three and a half weeks since the surgery, I hadn't even really tested it. I, I may have jogged on the spot a little bit, but it's totally different to actually pushing off and running. Uh, so it was quite weird. There was like a real mental block to, to get started. And I did feel a lot of tightness through the knee, but afterwards it's everything seemed so felt so much better. It's almost like I needed to do that just to break a bit of a stigma about, um, how it felt like, uh, I guess I was just scared of it a little bit. And now mentally, um, I'm, um, I'm feeling better. Yeah. So that's my running week. <laughs> what about the – do you much, do much on the bike? Uh, a little bit. I went out on Sunday with the group. Oh, wait, no, there was no group. We're in lockdown still. So I went out on Sunday for a solo ride, uh, saw a couple of runners while I was out there. Um, that was fun. That was about oh, what are we, 25K or so. What else did I do? Did a monofartlek one day. And got my heart rate up to 184 maybe, 185 nearly, which is the, I've never got it that high running. I was nearly throwing up off the side of the, the bike. It, it, it's it's a different um, it's a different kind of pain that the bike. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as hard at the time, uh, but I'm, I'm, once you stop, it just seems so much harder. Like I stopped and I was like, oh wow, I'm hot, I'm dizzy. Um, maybe because you're stable, you're in a seat and so you don't have to stabilize yourself or anything. So you can just push yourself really hard and there's no balance factor. But then when you get off the bike, I was like, whoa, I'm really not right. I have to sit down. Uh, it's just quite, I know you think the opposite, Brad, that the heart rate, you can't get it up on the bike, but I actually, no, no. I, I think you can, I, I get the heart rate up pretty high on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. I think the key for runners that do um a bit of cross training on the bike especially if they're doing sessions like you need to keep the you need to keep the reps really short and the recovery is real because you obviously recover a lot quicker in cycling than you do running so mm. like you can nail yourself for a minute and within sort of 30 seconds you, you're pretty good to go again um and i reckon the, the the good thing about the short reps is one it gets the heart rate up but your legs don't get completely cooked whereas if you try and do like a 20 minute tempo on the bike i find my legs just get sort of like tired because it's just different different muscles yeah i haven't i haven't played around with it too much i did a 25 minute tempo one of the days just to test out my perceived effort um at threshold i thought i'm gonna have a ride here and i'm gonna ride to what i feel like might be my threshold had the heart rate going so i knew what my running threshold was roundabouts and this was well under that but it felt a lot harder it felt like if i went out and ran 20 minute threshold that's what it would feel like and so i took a lactate measurement at the end it was like 2.3 or something uh so it was well under which corresponded with the heart rate but it just felt a lot harder than what it should have and i think that is the lack of 
yeah, experience on the bike. Yeah. Yeah, and just, that's where I think you can get. That's why the real short reps plus. 20 minutes goes way faster when you're doing like minute on minute off than trying yeah. to do like a 20 minute straight tempo. Yeah, it does. So I'll keep doing that with the weather coming out. I can wheel my spin bike out into the outdoors into the sun. So that's going to be heaps nicer than, you know, like a room where it's actually really quite hot. Uh, and it, you get, I guess it helps cause you get a bit of that heat stress. It feels like you're doing a bit more than you actually are. Um, but I'm going to still continue doing workouts on the bike as I grow my running. The gym's opened in Victoria today. Oh, well, in this, on the surf coast. So got back to the gym today. And um, I'm, I'm now on a better gym program because I can handle more exercises. So I can like squat and uh, leg press, leg extension, those kinds of things. You seen the surgeon? I've seen the surgeon once, but I, see, but I don't see him again for a while. I'm not actually sure when when that is. I've got to look for that. Um, but he doesn't really guide anything now. It's more Ali that guides what I'm allowed to do and and how much I'm allowed. And when when does she think like all things going well? When does she think that you would be back to like you know running an hour a day? Uh, oh, I'm not sure exactly. But I'm pressing her. I'm pressing her on how much I'm doing and how often I'm doing it. So. Like I'll be getting there as quick as I can, because even today, like I ran this morning on the treddy at the gym, and then by the afternoon, once I set up, the, I went and collected the treadmill today and kind of set it up in the garage. I was back running on it, just feeling fine, testing it. I actually felt a lot better this other than I did this morning, and I was I sent her a message like, "How much more can I do? <laughs> can can I can I do more often? Can I do more?" and I watched Berlin Marathon yesterday, so that's definitely got me psyched. Mm, it's good. Can't yeah, go it's right good. Direction. Yeah, it is. I'll go through my week. Not sure if you guys, can you guys hear that noise, the drilling, like the thumping. No, not no, I can't hear it. So I tell you, they're building a new bridge in Chukamoama, and they do these like night works where they like drill into the ground. That's that noise. That's What's wrong with the old bridge? They were getting another one, a new bridge. What two bridges? Two bridges, yeah. It's been, people have lived here for their whole life saying it will never happen, but it's finally happened. Because like, what do you two, need a second bridge for? Just too busy on the main bridge, and because it's like the two different governments have got to come together to like fund it. It's like been impossible to do in the past, but yeah, it's going to be finished like early next year. But anyway, that's them working on it. You could be the ambassador for the new bridge. <laughs> my, my, my mate's fifty. He's got a he's got a joke going. He's like, yeah, he thinks they would have named it after me until Clayton Oliver and Ollie Wines and all these <laughs> other guys did some cool things. So, and then he tags me in every single one of like the updates on like the local newspapers like Facebook page, and like yeah, he just makes he just embarrasses me. But anyway, <laughs> shouldn't have given him airtime. Uh, yeah. Monday, I ran eight k with Archie. I'm still feeling pretty sick um 422s we averaged but i was planning to do like 50 minutes an hour but i got like 30 minutes in and i'm like nah i'm just gonna run home from here which was like five minutes away so i got home um then tuesday felt a bit better did an hour at 428s and i just kind of put in my strava notes that's the best i'd felt in like two and a half weeks wednesday i did 15k an hour and six minutes at 425s just listen to uh, Road to Nowhere, their new season, and that was the day of the earthquake. So um, got home to just a stack of messages and Carly talking about it, and I didn't notice a thing at all. I was just out there. Oh, you got it up there, that high? Yeah, yeah. Didn't people get in, like, Sydney? Well, we got, yeah, supposedly Canberra got it as well. I didn't feel anything. 
We're in like, wasn't it Myrtleford that it hit? Wasn't that the main source of it? That's not too far from us. Probably two and a half hours, three really? hours. Really? Oh yeah, okay. In the set, in the center of the state, basically. Myrtle, no, Bendigo is the center of the state. <laughs> oh, the center of the universe for you, blokes. Bendigo is like the, there's a spot in Bendigo that's got a marking saying that this is the dead center of Victoria. <laughs> this is the center of the world for Andy Buchanan and Jamie Cook. There, there's literally a spot there just out of Bendigo, Mandurang. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I didn't feel that. Did you feel it, Moose? No, I was out running. I was well, no, I wasn't. I was on the bike with Ali while she was running, and we like, no, nah, no, nah, no idea. Did she feel it? No, nah. no, nah. nothing. I yeah. don't think you feel it when you're moving getting too much airtime or something. But the interesting bit was we were on the cliffs where there's like heaps of um, cliff falls Mm. where where they split off and and the whole beach underneath is closed permanently because of the risk of of cliff fall. And we were right near that section where um, when the earthquake happened, like I went back and looked at the timing and that's where we were, like in this really dangerous area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was yeah eventful for when I got home and heard all about that. Thursday, I decided to do a bit of a workout. I did um, six by two-minute efforts with, like, one minute really slow shuffle jog in between. Didn't expect much going into this one. I was kind of thinking if I could hold, like, 305, 310 pace for two minutes, that would be a good tick the box, see what happens kind of thing. But did the first one in three minutes, and then that felt okay. And there was only six of them, so it was a pretty small workout. So I ended up doing, like, six of them, three-minute average, and then, yeah, like five-minute K-pace for the one minute in between. Um, so that was good. A good way to get back into workouts. Easy workout because you're only doing a short amount of reps. And, um, yeah, I kind of was thinking I would have been blowing a bit more than I um, anticipated. But I guess it's like it's an interesting one when you come from not doing a lot for like two weeks because you think you're a bit unfit. And like half my brain was telling me that I'm pretty unfit, going to be a few weeks to get back going. But then I did run like 30 minutes for 10K two weeks ago, and I've, I haven't kind of missed a day. So the other half of my brain's kind of telling me, nah, you're pretty fit, this would be this would be easy. So um, that was good. Bit of a random morning, this one, though. Like, do you guys have the um, the cans? Like, you take the cans or the empty stubbies glass bottles to, like, a, a depot and you get money back for them? Do you guys have that in your towns? Mm, no, no, I don't think so. Well, you got one in Moama, like, yeah, it's like this machine. You put your cans in there and they're like, they count them up and then you get like 10 cents for every can. But this guy, because I just did this workout, like just along this straight road, and he's just driving like recycling bin to recycling bin, just going through people's bins, collecting all their cans and stubbies, putting them in his car, and then he'd just drive to the next house and just, um, yeah, it was like, I'm just like, surely you could be doing something better with your life than this. But So what's his story about? So then he'd take the empty cans and the stubbies to the machine in Moama. No, but how's this relative to our podcast? No, because I was just running on this road and this guy, because I was on this road for like 17 minutes up and back and then every time I ran past him, I'm just like, oh, okay. this is a bit dodgy, mate. Like, <laughs> come on, I'm just trying to do some two-minute reps hey, here. it's recycling. Don't stress that. I get, and that's, I it's guess, not stealing. It's just garbage. And I guess once it's on the streets, fair game. Is that what you're saying? Just, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He just looked a bit sketchy. didn't sit well with me as I was fanging up and down this road. But anyway, Most of sketchy blokes up in a chugger. Don't anyway. see many of them, to be honest. So that kind of really stood out, that guy. Um, got out for an easy 33 minutes in the afternoon. Uh, what day am I up to? Friday. This was uh, Hudson's birthday, actually. I went over to a for my first run in ages because we're allowed to do that now. So just ran from home, 
ran over the bridge. The police weren't even set up there. I was kind of like, oh, looking forward to getting my ID checked and things like that. And they just must have been having the morning off. So then just ran around a Chuka for like an hour, scenic drive on this kind of cool trail that goes along the river there, and then back again. Then Saturday, did the long run, met up with Archie and Glenn. Um, because I was feeling a bit better, I was planning to do like a 5K surge just after 25K. So kind of did the first, oh, Archie only did like the first hour with us because he had to go to work, and then Glenn and I kind of picked up the pace a bit after that first hour. Kind of got down to like four minute K pace from like 20 through to 25K. And then I changed shoes and then just, um, yeah, went out the road for two and a half K, turned around, come back again, hit a 5K in 16.32, and then just jogged a couple of Ks to get it to uh, 32K for the morning, which was good, 3.59 average, felt good. That 5K was pretty um, was pretty effortless, so I was pretty happy with the way that one turned out. Then had a couple of beers watching the footy on Saturday night, and then just an easy 16K Sunday morning. Listen to a really good podcast, The Academy of Imperfection with Ben Crow. This guy's, um, you heard of this guy before, fellas? His you know, name pops up a lot. Ash Barty's like coach. He used to work yeah, at Nike yeah. with Andre Agassi. Anyway, I was on. Yeah. Yeah. And Mona actually references him in his book back in 1996, which is pretty cool. But he's a bit of the flavor of the month at the moment, isn't he? Like you see his name around a bit. So, um, yeah, listen to that. Like, yeah, really recommend people listening to that, like a 90, 80-minute conversation. I think it can only make your life better if you listen to that one. talks about like the expectations we kind of put on ourselves sometimes in sport and stuff as well, and just the way we think about ourselves as humans, like not defi- defined by what we achieve or what we do for our jobs and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, really recommend people listening to that one. So what does define us then? Just who we are as humans. Like what do you, what, what do you mean? Like, like who what we are? What we care, like how we care for people and show compassion and empathy and um, kind. Of, I, I'm not going to try to summarize this guy, mate. He's like the guru. <laughs> but um, I've always. But tell me this. I've got a question for like you. you. You're not Julian Spence, the running company Ballarat owner. Or yeah, you're, you give, you're you not give Julian Spence. Now, you're, you're not Julian Spence, a two fourteen guy. You are just Julian Spence, and you should be happy with that, Julian. And you don't have to worry what other people think, because as long as Moose you are is, happy. Yeah, Moose is not going to like this podcast. No, Moose will love it. I reckon he's got a bit of that going on. I just wonder, like, because people get judged on how they act, don't they? People get judged on how they act. But so what you're saying is don't care about what people think about you. And so you can act like an asshole, and people will hate you, but you shouldn't care about that. Yeah, this was, I think he was talking a bit more about like performance in there. Like, don't be worried if people think 214's a failure when you want to run 212. Like, mm. your wife's still going to love you. Your kids are still going to love you. No one's going to think any less of you. The probably expectations and, and worry you're going to put on yourself is from you, not from other people. But it wasn't yeah. really talking about if people are being dickheads, then they say, who cares what people think about me? Yeah, it's 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 hard for me to get my head around listen, those. Listen to the podcast. Like I've done a terrible job of summarising it. No, I understand what you're saying. Like the the running stuff is like so insignificant compared to what um, uh, compared to other factors, or like your hobbies and your jobs are just external things, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about like they do a good bit on like purpose and stuff as well, and even um talking about your your earliest. Um, happy memory 
and he kind of makes the guys like talk about that on the podcast as they're going and then like how that made them feel and then yeah talking about things like that do you know i have a theory on this here we go yeah, go. Do, do you know that I think what's really telling one of the most stripped back, rawest, honest things that you can um, go to as a person and to get real clarity on what is important to you is what you think about just before you go to sleep? To me, like, so, but just like when your head's down, when everything's switched off, when there's no noise around you, where there's no people talking, there's no jobs to do or whatever, when you shut your eyes and, and what you think about right then, that should be like clarity as to as to what you care about. And that should be a real, like, for me, that's a real spot where I go, okay, this is a happy place for me. This is what I, like, this is important to me. Mm. Well, he talks about that. To flip that a bit, he talks about, like, I think it's called, like, winning the morning. Well, he has some kind of, like, motto about what you think about when you first wake up. Oh, okay. And then yeah. it's, like, about if you get those good routines Coffee. in place. And yeah, well, it's, like, do you go to pick up your phone, check social media, check the news, all that kind of stuff? Or do you, this is your process you do in the morning to win the morning. So, like, in that first half an hour, you've smashed out what you wanted to do and you're not depressed about checking Twitter or Instagram and all those other things. So yeah, There's a bit, a bit of Hugh Van Seilenberg. Hugh Van Kylenberg. Well, he's the guy who's on the podcast with him. Oh, they're on the same podcast. Well, it's his podcast, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of... When, if you read The Resilience Project, a lot of it's about the morning, yeah. isn't it? About yeah. what happens in the mornings. Yeah, and also that... Like, I've got his diary where you write down things that you're grateful for before you go to bed. Mm, yeah, so I've got the diaries. Well. Oh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I haven't. I like. I'll be honest. I've got the diaries, and I we had intentions to use them, but I I never ended up using them. Yeah, um, but he even says just write on the shower window and stuff. Before, like when you're having your shower, just like having that action of writing it down is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's his podcast, the Imperfects. Yep, and I'm then, aware of that one. And then this is a part of that podcast. It's kind of like the. Shoe Geeks of Inside Running Podcast, the Academy of Imperfection, is like on their oh, podcast. Okay. So you mean it's the better, it's the better spin-off. Well, they've only done one of these, I think. So you guys are a bit more consistent, but yeah. So it's him, Ryan Shelton, his brother Josh, and then they had Ben Crow as a guest. Started strong. That's a I'll, good idea. I'll give it a listen. Give it a listen tomorrow, Crow. So I'll only make you a better person. Oh, yeah. Yep. Anyway, that was my week. I ran 116Ks, back feeling good. Might try and string a um a pretty normal kind of week together this week. Croaks, croaks. Forget Brady's week. What do you think about when you shut your eyes right before bed? What helps you get to sleep? I put my earplugs in. <laughs> so the kids are yours tonight, Viv. <laughs> the earplugs so you can't hear Viv snore and all like earplugs to listen to something. No, earplugs to basically just drown out everything. And so I, I find that I don't think as much if I have my earplugs in. It almost makes everything like super, super silent. Um, this is going to sound real weird, and I don't know if anybody ever else thinks this, but it's not what – so when things are super, super quiet, and I sometimes think of this when I – if I get up in the middle of the night and go to the toilet and come back and I can't go to sleep, but everything is just super, super quiet, I think to myself, when you die – that's it you don't come back 
it's like it's forever and we're because when everything's silent in the bedroom or and it's all dark you're like it's forever and, we, and when you start to think about that it's fucking it's it freaks you out a little bit going it's forever like ever 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 so that's one thing that i think about when i'm in bed and everything's silent this is your um catholic school upbringing coming out here no no i've no, just but no, when you, I when you no. die, you, you're probably not just in a locked room that's dark for the rest of your life. You're probably not thinking anything. No, but it's like, <laughs> no, but it's like, it's like the, the lights go out and that's it. You don't wake up. You just, you're gone. Like, well, we, which, never, we don't know what happens after you die. No, we don't. Well, I'm assuming that's what happens. But, um, you have no idea what happens. You <laughs> can't assume things. But, but it sort of makes you, in a way though, it makes you appreciate like, go, oh, well, better not waste it then. <laughs> yes. This, yeah. There's no mm. practice life. <laughs> yeah. This isn't a practice. This is the real one. Anyway, I've interesting to say, like actually, and we had this discussion once when I had some friends over, and there was a cu- couple that said that they actually thought the same thing. So I didn't feel quite as crazy. But anyway, maybe others think the same. I don't know. Mm. A bit weird. We got off, <laughs> got off track a bit there. Let's thank some Patreon supporters, <laughs> eh? Kick us off, Coates, uh, at the bottom. I've got uh, Glenn Mornsall. Uh, he's from Fig Tree in New South Wales, which is near Wollongong. Uh, he'd run 21.10 for 5K at the Sandon Point Park Run, 48.44 Bulleye Burn, 98 minutes at the 2018 Blackmoors Half, and um, 3 hours 42 at Melbourne Marathon in 2019. Uh, does a bit on the bike, rower, and ocean swimming, and also likes Dare Ice Coffee. So thanks for your support, Glenn. Good on you, Glenn. I I have Mohammed Farah, Mohammed Farah from London in England. So (laughs) Mohammed, what are you talking about? Mohammed was the won an Olympic gold at the 2016 Rio. Apparently, he's been big after listening to the Jake Smith interview. He's been right onto this uh, podcast. Has that come out yet? Yeah, it came out last week. To the public, yeah, good by you. Um, love like this, one. love this, the, the shade thrown at, uh, Mo Farah, actually. Good attention in the, in the English ranks, I reckon. Do you like our call, to, like we went back to it as well, like 20 minutes, half an hour down the conversation? Like yeah, threw, I know. You, threw a bit you of whip early, threw a bit of whip early at him and I thought, yeah, let's bring this back up a bit later on. I also liked him when he said something was well good. It was well good, which I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Sounds like a fun guy to hang around, though, doesn't he, Jake Smith? Wouldn't want to do yeah. any training with him. He'd absolutely destroy you. But, um, oh, yeah. I don't know what that house is that he lives at where they all go out and do that crazy shit. That sounds like an awful place to live. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he wears his um, housemate shorts. That's why they're all, like, two sizes too big yeah, for him. I think I did forget to ask that, though. But what yeah, do you yeah. think about the... When I was listening to Shoe Geeks today and Tom DeCano's talking about how they've all got different foam in the vapor flies, depending on what version you've got. Oh, yeah, I picked that up. And then that guy puts on two different ones, like, whereas odd vapor flies. Like, surely there wouldn't be identical foam or, like, same wear. Like, yeah, I don't know They're a that. special bunch over there. The English. There's a special bunch. Him, Josh Lund, similar type of characters, I reckon. Who <laughs> uh, are we actually really thinking? Uh, I've got Helen. Actually, speaking of Britain, I have Helen Ibbotson. She is from Chipping Norton in England, United Kingdom. She's run one twenty-two half marathon, a two fifty-five marathon at Berlin in two thousand eighteen. We were there that day, weren't we? 
Brady. was just you and I this year, wasn't it? This was the uh, f- me and you. Yeah, Croaks wasn't there. This was the hottest year. Was that Dame Verway year? Verway there. Bree was there. Broke three hours. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big, big day. Um, you know, I took took back the um, IRP marathon record. Oh Moose. yeah, bad day for you, Bradley. You ran two sixteen <laughs> that day, Moose. So yeah, I ran with Malcolm Hicks for a fair bit. That's right. Lead females for about thirty k. Then you just kicked away. You two, didn't you? Bit earlier than that, I reckon we left him. I, I actually was watching Berlin, and it, there was a corner come up, and I'm like, "Yeah, I cut that corner." And Hicksy, I never met him before, and he calls out. He goes, "DQ." I was like, <laughs> "Fuck!" <laughs> Someone saw me cut that corner, but I was only cutting the corner to um, get it. Like the lead females were like real hissy that day. Like they were real grumpy, and I was like, "Shit!" I did not want to cut a like cut in front of them to get around this corner and create some carnage. So I'm like, "I'll just step up on the curb here." Well, I was watching Berlin yesterday with Archie, and I was telling him how the lead females were hissing and stuff at you. And he's yeah. like, no, they weren't. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They were like, he was getting in their way. They were hissing at him to get out of the way. <laughs> like, the poor kid had to sit through like two hours of me telling him stories about every bend at Berlin. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is when I started blowing up at, at this 30K mark here. And then this happened. And yeah, he left pretty quick when the race was over. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need that shit in his life. <laughs> you could tell him every point where you've blown up. How many times have you done it? Three years? For years, blew up every time. Yeah, nearly got oh, you yeah. one year though. Two thousand seven, it wasn't until about thirty-five. Oh well. Anyway, you got close, get, get you? back to Helen. Um, Helen, sorry, Helen. She's run pretty well. Two fifty-five. That's yeah, solid. That's good. Um, she's in the over forty-five too, so that is really good for that. For that, oh, I don't know when. Uh, she might have been in the, her early forties in two thousand eighteen. Um, Twenty fifty-three for a five k. So. She is a slow twitch athlete, I think we can tell. 41-49 for 10K. Um, she's in the, like we said, the veteran category and runs for Borton, which I'm assuming is an athletic club there. Mm. Thanks, Helen, for your thank support. You, Helen. I'm going to thank Campbell Carter. How good is this name, fellas? Sounds like a movie star or something, doesn't he? Campbell Carter. 19, mm. don't you reckon? I'm not sure. Uh, CC. Yeah, there's a few CCs out there, aren't there? 1925 for 5K, 4049 for 10, 124 for the half marathon at the Terrelgan half marathon, and 315 at the Melbourne marathon in 2019. So he was there with Glenn that day. Um, maybe did Boston in 2019, and maybe did the Run Melbourne virtual half marathon this year in 127. So uh, Campbell, Helen, Glenn, thank you so much for your support. If you want to support the Inside Running Podcast, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash Inside Running Podcast. Three different levels. One starts from uh, $5 to help us keep the lights on. Five bucks a month, fellas. I think that's US. I think it's like $6.50 Australian if you live over here. That's pretty good value, isn't it? Do you reckon we provide $6.50 worth of value each month? Four episodes, one shoe geeks. That's like a dollar twenty an episode. Yeah, dollar fifty a week or something. If you get off air and don't think this is worth a dollar fifty each week, surely you'll learn something about running. Get some kind of entertainment. Some I'm not of... sure whether you want to be going down this line, Brady. There might be like six hundred patrons that go, Yeah, yeah, they're right. That isn't worth a dollar fifty a week. <laughs> and just pull out your reckon. There's some yeah, other but... there's some other levels there as well for bonus content. It's all at that website. But thank you to the people over there who uh, keep the show alive each and every week. Some running news, fellas. Let's go Berlin first. Croaks. 
No, Moose, you're telling us about this. This is yours. Am I? Well, I did watch it. So it was quite a good watch, actually. Really enjoyed it. Brady, me and you enjoyed it. Croaks didn't. Croaks wasn't happy. He was pretty angry last night, wasn't he? Yeah, he really just, like, he doesn't know much about running. And so it sometimes shows in his predictions, especially within the race. <laughs> but so the winner of the race was not Kenanisa Bakili, which um, was my prediction. I predicted he didn't win last week. But Gaia Adola, I predicted him in another thread on the message board. Just he was the guy who pushed. Um, he was the guy who pushed Kipchoge back in 2017, where we like got the first glimpse at potential loss for Kipchoge, but then could not pull it off. But it was very impressive on the day. But he won. Um, we'll say a battle of attrition at Berlin. So he he didn't get faster at the end. He didn't kick down. There was no kind of sprint finish. There was no. Um, negative splitting. They went out very fast, too fast, and and it was just carnage towards the end. And Gaia Odola was the one that uh, tempered the carnage the most, you would say, wouldn't you? Mm, yeah, because like Yegon come back at him and looked like the winner. I thought he, I didn't mm. see him throughout the race, and like they went through halfway in sixty forty eight. Bikili was a bit off that. I think he was like sixty one dead. He kind of dropped off at like I don't know eighteen nineteen k. Um, but then got back in the pack when it slowed down. And then, yeah, Yegon kind of caught them all and got up to um, a dollar. And then a dollar just went again. So pretty impressive the way he kind of held that off. But, yeah, massive blow-ups everywhere. Looked hot, looked humid. Um, it wasn't that hot. Fasc- it was Fascinating to watch. It was not that hot, but what happened, like, it was 12 seconds underneath the required pacing, which was 61 pace. But there's no adjustment for that. Like, it wasn't that hot. Let's say it was 20 degrees at the end. But that's not 14 degrees, which is optimal. And if we're talking about world records, then you can't be you, – you have to adjust for that, that, like, variable, don't you, the heat? So you, you say they've got the memo you're going through in 61, ignore the heat, like, just, just hit the plan. Well, wouldn't you, I would think that there was like powers up higher that would like that would be a little bit smarter and go, yeah, today like twenty degrees is not world record um, weather. Like these aren't conditions to run. Like maybe we shift that pacing back to sixty-one twenty, right? And then like we we have a much cleaner, smoother race. But maybe like I don't understand the very top end. But that's what like if it was twenty degrees and you had an athlete running at Berlin. Would you not suggest, hey, it might get a little hotter, it's not 14, this is not our optimal conditions, um, perhaps we just adjust our plan slightly? Yeah, yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? And, like, he was the winner and he slowed five minutes in the second half. Yeah, yeah. So there yeah, must have been some huge right. blow-ups, yeah. And 12 seconds, 12 seconds is not that big of a difference. No, the like, commentary were trying to blame the paces, saying they went too quick. But I'm like, 12 seconds, when your job's 61.00 and you run 60.48, I reckon that's job well done. It's one second a mile. Yeah. One second a mile does not cause blow-ups of five minutes. It was more than just the pacing that created that drama. Mm, uh, but can- at the same time, at the same time, like, do we not under do we not undervalue a negative split? Because I keep, like, this is the greatest example, right? This Bethwell Yegon, he still blew up, but he came from nowhere. But he made a decision early on, yeah, 61, this ain't for me. This is too hot. I'm going to come back through the field later. And he did that. 
Um, like it's just every, every marathon we see examples of negative splits, like producing the better results and uh, just like yeah, it's and undervalued. And, and it also showed to, that. Sorry, Brad, I was just going to say they kept comparing it to um, Kipchoge's pace in the first like 15, 20K to even 10K. They were kind of comparing to Kipchoge's world record, but Kipchoge gets going at about 30K. Like where these guys were running three seven, three oh five kind of pace after thirty K. And it also showed that you need more than just super shoes to run fast times. Yeah, that's right. The times, Brad. The, times the times weren't very quick. Did you hear me on shoe gigs? <laughs> Did you? Uh, so you gave me you gave me no credit. I take it. Yeah, he didn't. He came up with that. Prick, prick. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah. So then Bikili came out and said, the big problem for me was the lack of training because of the pandemic. I just couldn't do as well as I hoped. That does not mean my career is over. But I don't get that. That narrative does not match up with what they were saying pre-race. How he was in world record shape and training had gone so well and he didn't want to bother running 203, 204s. He was there to run 201. Don't know how this happens. And isn't everybody been affected by the pandemic? Like, yeah. Anyway, well, like we, yeah, we there, there's a different game being played, isn't there? Like in the media and stuff, you just don't know exactly what's happening. It's very rare that Keely would come out and say he had a brilliant, brilliant lead-in. Um, I mean, it would be very rare for him to come out and say, "Oh, I'm not that fit. I'm, yeah. I'm just doing this for the paycheck." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish there would be more honesty like that. Um, because that's totally fine as well. <laughs> like we all know it's what's happening, but it's just not a, a good look to say it, I guess. Uh, but he, um, he was still okay, wasn't he? He came third at Berlin. I mean, you can trottle on coming third at Berlin for another four or five years if you want. Still make yeah. a packet. Women's race, debutant, Gabra Celesi. She won in 2.20.09. Gabri Keaton. She was she's broken two twenty, but she ran two twenty two twenty one twenty three, both Ethiopian, and so was third place Helen Toller, who ran two twenty three oh five. Didn't see a lot of the women, as is always at Berlin, surrounded by kind of men a bit early on. But they probably oh, I don't know flicked back ten fifteen kind of times, but um yeah, didn't see a lot of them, did we? I didn't think we did. No, not enough of them. Yeah, because it was a pretty good race back there. They changed the lead a few times. Um, and it was a fast time. Yeah. So to, she like, it would have been too, nice. She like smooth, smooth mover. Still can't get the split screen right, can they? No, like, they can't. And you know yeah. what else? Like, I don't, like, when they tell you what their splits are, like, if you put up on the screen 15K, they've gone through in, you know, 48, 42. I'm like, that doesn't mean much to me until you tell me what that estimated finish time is. I wish they'd have that on the screen as well. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah. Like they have on the cars. Like so they have on the cars. Car. Yeah, that's what I was explaining yeah. to Archie. I'm like, they have a car telling them what kind of, yeah, finishing time they're on for. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it gets updated every 500 metres. Yeah. So every 500 metres, it takes a GPS split and it works out what pace it was and then it works out the overall pace of the run and gives you a projected finish based on that, um, based on where you're at. And, and they get access to that because the car is just in front of them. You never see it because the bike's always next to them or um, in front of them. But there is a car there that's flashing that up. So there's Sh- a, there's shows a, them what their last K was, doesn't it? As well, like comes exactly. up with their K split. Yeah, it's almost annoying. Got to looking at it for forty k. No, it isn't. I think it's brilliant. I, I love it. 
I thought I would hate it, but I loved it because you didn't have to worry about your own watch and you knew you were in a group with people like where the group was controlling what was happening and you just play along with it. And if you got in front of that car and it was saying 220 when you went past it, you know that if you stay in front of it, then you pretty much run under 220. Uh, it's nice to have for the first 20K anyway. After that, it probably gets a bit painful. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I was in front of it, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> you I were behind it. I was behind <laughs> it, and then the car dropped me. Couldn't see it for the last couple of days. Um, Brad, one of the goats of women's distance running, retires. Yeah, so Mary Katani at the age of 39. So she's pretty much dominated world major marathons uh, in the last decade. She's won seven of them, um, which included three London marathons and four New York um, marathons. Personal best of 64.55 for the half marathon, which puts her eighth all time and 217.01 for the marathon, uh, which is number three all time. Um, so she's yeah been super dominant. I think the only... The only thing that sort of not well tarnished her career in a way was not having a, an Olympic medal. Um, she finished fourth in 2012 Olympics, but um, you know she was always a given. Like she always performed London and New York. You could sort of put your house on her winning London and New York. So um, yeah. she has the women's only world record too, doesn't she? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty significant. Like it's like Cos- two seventeen or something. Yeah, two seventeen oh one. Yeah, Cos yeah. guys got the two fourteen, but she had men paces. Yeah, so she also won three gold. Oh no, so she won gold at the two thousand and nine half marathon, silver at the two thousand and seventeen world half marathon. So, yeah, good career. No Olympic. And no, so she no, finished no finished medals. fourth in um in London. Ooh. 2012. So she, yeah, right. Yeah, I think so she, she made... had a baby in 2016, didn't she? Yeah. So she had she, a couple of kids. So it says here that uh, she was among the lead pack until the 41K mark of the Olympics, where she fell behind to finish fourth in 2012. Did yeah. it say who was first, second, and third there? Uh, no, I could find it, though. Be interesting to know. I'll tell you about great Manchester 10K. Sinead Diver was over there. She got fourth, 32-31. And Alwise Wellings was eighth in thirty-three twenty-six. Both of those ladies um, are in action this weekend at the London Marathon. We didn't know about Alwise last week, fellas, when when we recorded. I think I said Sinead will be the standout Australian and the only one there. But then, um, yeah, social media posts from Alwise a couple of days later, announcing that she'll be making her debut at the London Marathon, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. She has been a standout track athlete over the past whatever 10 years or so right or did she run yeah did she run at athens 2004 Uh, didn't she keep getting injured and missing those early olympics i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure whether i I don't know i don't know but two-time olympic finalist i think she's fourth fastest australian over the five and the 10k uh, she must be she she'd be she ali's fourth for the 10 so she'd either be second or third over the 10 Okay. Oh, yep. you know where I'm getting that wrong because when I looked it up the other day, they've got Rose Davies' result in the rankings. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It was 20, uh, 2012 and 2016 Olympics for Eloise. Oh, I was way off. She's not that old. She Sorry, did, Eloise. She did qualify, though, when she was really young and then get injured and couldn't go that, didn't she? Oh, yeah. She qualified didn't in she qualified like, a few times? She, well, she qualified for Sydney yeah. as like oh, a yeah, yeah. 17-year-old. So I think I think we mentioned this before. She actually lapped me in a 5K when she, the day that she qualified. She ran like 15 
seven or was it 15 15 or something like that and i ran like 16 30 so um yeah she lapped me and that that basically had a selector but then she got injured so she missed sydney then missed uh athens and um and beijing yeah so such a long career and then um yeah stepping into the marathon i know you made a comment a few weeks ago croaks just looking at some of her social media stuff some of the big marathon workouts she was doing and just being like which marathon is she doing like why is she training like this thinking that obviously she's been in sydney and locked down for a while but um yeah had that option to get over to london which is pretty good yeah trying to hopefully get some audio with her as well the next week's show hopefully um with Sinead or uh, sorry at the end of this week's show both of them actually James yeah. is hopefully helping me out for um from Athletics New South Wales to get some stuff with Louise, and then hopefully we catch up with Sinead at the end of this week and then we can put it out as a bit of a release um you know Thursday Friday if we can pull it off in time yep which cool. would be pretty cool to hear be for good. both of them yeah and gives us something just to get interested in so where do we think um where do we think that 10k time uh puts Sinead based off her olympics which was how many weeks ago now five six seven feels feels like she's got home doesn't it yeah well she's gone again so she's in england now she's run 32 31 for fourth i don't know much about this was this um was this a, a fast course or was this a hilly course was it hot what do we know about the race? Alicia won it just under um, 31 minutes. I think she was 30.50. Mark Scott won the men's. Don't know that time off the top of my head. Yep. But, yeah, I think she was just off the plane, actually, um, and she didn't – I think she had a bit of a terrible trip going over there. She'll be able to explain all this, but I did get one message. I'll just read it out now, saying that I think she had pretty much done this race off no sleep the night before. Uh, she had a dog of a journey over there with countless interruptions – um, she only got off the plane at 10 p.m. the night before and didn't sleep at all before the race. Yeah, so I wouldn't read too much. I wouldn't read too much into it. You know, 10k is very different to a marathon, and and look, 32:30, it's not it's not terrible. So she'll she'll be right. Always is the third fastest over 10k moose. 31:14. Yep. Ali's got 31:18. So who's second? Uh, Lisa Ondiecki. Yeah, Benita Willis is first. Yeah, Rose Davies is also in there at second at thirty fifty four, but they've obviously got to fix that because she she didn't finish that race. I don't think that should get fixed up pretty. I know. Pretty, I can't believe it's be made these up. rankings. Yeah, because mm. yeah. yeah. But anyway, so that'll be interesting to watch this week. Um, good to see them in action over there. Final bit of news: there was a marathon down in Tassie, the Ross Marathon. Thomas Merton won the race down there, 2.25.26, broke the course record. And Rose Dingamancy, she also broke the course record in 2.51.45. So good to see um, some quick times down there in Tassie. I think Nick Earl won the men's half, but he'll be talking about that on Road to Nowhere. Listen to question, Croaks. All right. Hey, crew, listen to question for you all to have a bit of fun with. After last week's music chat segment, Success, I'm interested to know your top five tunes to listen to whilst running. Could be a song that helps you get rolling or to make the run more enjoyable. Uh, Looking forward to some Counting Crows from Croaks. Sorry I don't have a name for this one as well. Since we started that Instagram competition, our Instagram's just been crazy. I can't find who that name was from, but I know it's one of the legendary listeners out there. Good question. I like this. Moose, you put your top five there. 
I just put them in because I I have a playlist that I re- like. When you have a playlist as good as my playlist, it's a treat, right? And you can't overuse it, so you have to save it for special occasions. So is this like um, race day only or like what are you talking special occasions? Oh, this is race day. This is perhaps drive to a session mm. if I'm by myself. Maybe I'll warm up before a session listening to this. Or if I'm just feel, if I'm having a real shit one, then this comes on. This comes on, comes on loud, this playlist. And it's not five songs. There's 100 songs on there now. Um, I have shared it publicly before. So if you go back far enough through my Instagram, you'd probably find it. Um, but, yeah, this is this is it. It's called the, the playlist. It's called No Ceilings. Um, that, that refers to a summer of training that I did with my mate Pistol when we were preparing for a football preseason. No Ceilings. Little Wayne mixtape. Title, you remember that one? Nah, never really got into Little Wayne. You know the concept of no ceilings. Yeah, like there's there's no ceiling that you're going to hit because your performance could go like higher than you imagine. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. That is. Then so that was the the concept, and so the playlist has taken that name. How did and your so, footy season go after that preseason? Uh, I think I didn't play footy that year. <laughs> hit the <laughs> ceiling. Up. No, no, that's when I t- transitioned to, to starting to do running and stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, so it had it had merit, but the playlist um, the playlist has this is just five of the the better songs that I grabbed from it. Have you got like so, five, four, three, two, one? Count them down. Uh, uh, no, I don't actually. Oh, hmm. no, I don't. But this is number one is AWOL Nation with Sail. Have you ever seen? Have you ever? That's the song. Like it came out came out on a um, GoPro video when they were big when they first came out and the um, wingsuit guy just like flies through a fly in Switzerland flies through a valley in a wingsuit. And it's just amazing. Um, that really pumped me up back in the day. And then naughty by nature, feel, feel, feel me flow, which is just the all time rap song. I love it. Uh, rip it up 28 days, bit of Australian flavor there. Punk rock trouble on central by buddy. Not many people know this song, but I love it. It's one of my favourite songs of all time. And then "Do You Remember" by Jared James, just just get me going. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't know the top one or the buddy one. You you're, you know the others? Though? Yeah, I know the others. Twenty eight yeah. days is the standout in there. Isn't you never it? heard AWOL Nation sail? I probably have. I've heard it. Jared Can we James make it our intro a... music to, for this episode? Well, no, nah, we'll get pulled down because we don't own it. Oh, okay. Jared yeah, James, yeah. that got a bit commercial. That song though, didn't it? Wasn't it on like TV ads and stuff? Got a bit sick of it. I don't know. I don't remember a TV ad. I've only actually, I only recently discovered it. For a while. Like a couple of, oh, really? like, like a couple of months ago, and I was like, "This song is amazing. How have yeah. I never heard this before?" Right, okay, Crokes, what are your five? Um, Bit different here we those. go. Here we go. <laughs> I've gone through <laughs> the Beatles. My, well, my playlists have like everything from country to Elton John to the Coots to Roxette, like everything. But like if, if I had to pick five, so my big pump-up song, and this has been a pump-up song of mine for years, is Eminem, Lose Yourself. Ooh, um, yeah, that's that, a that was number eight on mine, nearly made the top five. So that's, yeah, for years and years, like if I was going to a race, like that sort of got me pumped. So that's definitely on the list. Um, I don't mind a bit of 
the Kooks, Naive. Oh yeah, That's yeah. A good saw song. them. Saw them in Central Park. Um, Gee, let me write this down. In New York? Yeah, New York. You'd know this song, Moose. And, um, oh, who was it? Um, Pumped Up Kicks. Oh, yeah. Who sings that? Who sings that? Um, I saw them in Central Park as well. Yeah, that was was a massive song. Yeah, that's a good song. Um, I reckon I saw those in um, Big Day Out or something one year. Good vibe, something like that. Anyway, keep going. Then, oh, like... Then it's a bit of a toss-up, like a bit of bit of cranberries, um, salvation, zombie, linger, any of those, and then um, the killers. Or what killers? Human or spaceman? Okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Wait, this uh, is enough hot fast, right? What's that? The killers. Those songs aren't off hot fast. The album, are they? Uh, I don't know what the name of the album was. Um, the, the good album, the OC album. Samstown. Which yeah, one? The Samstown, one. the second one. Yeah, the second one. So I reckon I've done about five, but then even a bit of Bruce Springsteen. I'm on fire. Yeah. Good. I had number not, five. Not a bad list. That's a good, yeah, that was better. I reckon your list is Actually, way one, better than one, one, one more I'll throw in there is um, Faded by Alan, Alan Walker. Oh, that's a good song too. Yeah, you are the yeah, new thanks. music king on this show. Start buying vinyls. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that was no good, but that faded. Was good. <laughs> Have you watched the um that live set of that on um YouTube Crocs? Which one? The faded song. No, I haven't. Oh, watch that on YouTube when you get off here. That's so good. That live version of it. Anyway, number five, still Dre, Doctor Dre and Snoop Dogg. Oh yeah, That's I got that. That's good. Number four, Jay Z and Lincoln Park, Numb Encore. Oh, it's a bit mm, cheating because mm. you're kind of picking two songs put together. But that, yeah, that don't matchup like does work. Um, number three, Puff Daddy, Come With Me from the Godzilla soundtrack. Do you remember <laughs> that song? That was when yeah, it was done yeah, by yeah, Puff Daddy. That. that gets you pumped up. And it goes for like seven minutes, that song. That is pretty good, actually. That's a good song. Number two, The Killers, When You Were Young, but the live yeah. version. That's hot fuss. That's hot fuss, yeah. And then number one, they kind of cheated with this one as well, Kanye West, Stronger. Like yeah. I remember hearing that song for the first time. That that Daft Punk sample, like just goes hard. The lyrics are hard. The beats hard. That just gets you pumped up. That song. That's there right. are some. There are some good. There's some Kanye songs that didn't make the list that should have. Like amazing. If you you know yep. Kanye. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? What's that one? Um, Wait till I get my money right. What's it actually called? Know that one? Um, it was yeah. off like the hangover. What's it actually called though? That was up there. That was hard to, to not put in. Anyway, me mate Kramer's going to be disappointed that I don't know the name of that song. Anyway, was, have you ever listened to the podcast? Uh, Pistol got me onto this podcast actually. It's, oh fuck, what's it called? Take Five. No, it's the one with um, Chavez, or no, Shay Serrano and some other bloke. And they talk, they, they die like, Oh, they, yeah, uh, the, um... get, get into an album and they talk about like its place in hip hop history and, and where it was at the time and they talk about the lyrics involved and they go real deep into an album. Oh, no, no, I haven't. Let me, good though. Yeah, it, let me, I'll get it. You guys keep talking, I'll find it. Well, your segment's your coming segment. up loose and loose, especially. It's called, no, it's called No Skips. No Skips. No Skips. And they talk about the graduation album that that song's off. Oh, really? Um, it's good. Did they do it's one a, on Nipsey? 
Uh, no, they haven't done one on Ipsy yet. Oh. The last one they did was on, um, what was the last one? I haven't listened to this for a while. Cardi B, Invasion of Privacy. So, And then Tupac, All Eyes on Me, um, Drake, Take Care, Clips, Lord Willen, Miss Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yep, so there's, there's some, it's good. A dollar twenty worth of music recommendations right there, I reckon. Moose yeah. on the loose perks of the week. Uh, I got my treadmill, so I got a life fitness. Um, thanks, Sam McLean, hooked me up there. Didn't tell me it, but he, he, he hooked me up with someone who did hook me up. Um, bought a treadmill mat for it to go underneath, but got this thing the other week, spent this, spent my, my, my weekly purchase money on a thing called a snoo. Have you blokes heard of a snoo? No. No. You haven't heard of it? Oh, what? shit. How does it spell? S-N-O-O. So this is like for the baby. It's it's an electric. It's like a it's like a robot mummy, basically. <laughs> you put it in the snoo, and it gives it like it plays white noise and it it like moves the baby. So I just looked at the price tag on this thing, Croaks. Have you googled it? No, I haven't. So it settles the baby down. Snoo smart sleeper bassinet, one thousand four hundred ninety five dollars. Yeah. Yeah, well, we got that like second hand. I think it was. I'm not sure how much it cost. You're, probably... a, you're a retailer's dream. I just see you coming. Nah, like, this was, oh, this was my mate. Education. Thank you. It's just a basket that moves. No, it's more. You could have put your massage you gun. Way more sleep. No, you could have put the massage gun under your bas- like normal bassinet and just done that. Just vibrate. You would have been right. Could have made that your would own be part of it. So you. I love how, I love how now he thinks that this is just. A guarantee for him getting more sleep. It's going to save his life, yeah. I can't wait for like two months in and going, I can't believe I wasted this money. I'm going to take it back and say it doesn't work. No, I've got a head start. You should see the marketing photos here as well, Brad, just like sleeping babies everywhere. Like some lady's just reading a book (laughs) next to the bassinet as his kid sleeps. I'm like, nah, there's none of that No, you don't have one. You have crying babies that wake you up in the night. I'm going to have a snoo. And the snoo will take care of that problem. <laughs> it's a bassinet that it's for sleeping in, for we'll babies report, to sleep in. Let's, re- let's report back in a month. You can yeah. do, do the well, review. You know, I'm not going to have a precedent because we already have the snoo. The only people that know are the ones that didn't have a snoo and then got a snoo and then they tell you how good the snoo is. And I've, had, I've encountered one of them already, and that was enough for me to pull the trigger. Brad, listen to this. It's your 24-hour, 24-7 helper, your virtual babysitter. Snoo helps whenever you need a break to shower, oh. to work, to cook, <laughs> or sleep. How good is that There's sound? a mobile app that syncs up to it. Yeah, it goes on your Wi-Fi, and you can, like, mm. increase the um, the white noise or whatever, I think. I don't know. But if it if they're not if they're still crying, then... You just turn it up, and then you might not hear them. <laughs> oh, very good. Looking forward to seeing how that goes. What about your mate Shalane? She came out and ran at two thirty-five after we ripped into her last week. Two thirty-eight. Two thirty-eight. Well, yeah. So still not that impressed, but if she can do I that mean, for six. I'll give her credit for that. She's a two twenty-one lady. Yeah, when she was in PB shape. So say she's in like two thirty shape. If you can run six marathons in 238, I'm going to change my tune on last It's week. not that bad. It's running at fucking 95%. We do workouts at that. Okay. It's in Berlin. She's a professional athlete slash coach. She doesn't work. Plus, like, with the shoes, she's definitely going to be less 
less beat up than she would have been five years ago running 238. So if you okay, Brady, you've got 42 days. You've got to run six marathons in 238 because you're a 221 bloke, aren't you? 290. Or close enough. Pretty close, yeah. Close, yeah, but it's the same sort of deal. Yeah. You could do that. No worries. You could go out and do that six days in a row if you wanted. Yeah, especially in big races and stuff. It'd feel easy in big packs and stuff like that, just having some fun. You've got you to remember how good this lady was. She won New York Marathon. She come. Didn't she get a third, third at bronze world champs over ten k too on the yeah. track? Yeah, 10k. Yeah, yep. but in in Rio she was maybe fifth or sixth, I think. Um, she was good. She was a proper athlete, and so two thirty eight for that level, that caliber. I mean, I know she had a surgery and all that, but still, that doesn't go away. That sort of talent. Work move. She was six two twenty five twenty six. So she was like a minute twenty off the uh, off the gold. Yeah, good weren't, race to watch. Weren't they if all you ever top ten that day? That. Wasn't Des Linden top ten and Craig as well? She was. Yes, yeah, so Desi was uh, seventh in two twenty six oh eight, and uh, Amy Craig was uh, ninth in two twenty eight twenty five. Jeez, it's quite an interesting race because if you watch the trials, the US trials that year, Amy Craig was by far the strongest athlete, and had to wait for Shalane at several spots in order to like because they were teammates and. And so to see the turnaround by the time they got to Rio and how the race played out different, just like everyone's got a different day, don't they? The, it's um, sad Stan? the way her career ended, though, Craig's, because um, didn't she run that like awesome time in Tokyo? Didn't she run two? Did she run yeah, two she went hard at that. Yeah, two twenty. Like she ran really yep. quick. You still got that open, Crocs? Which one? What, what was her PB, Amy Craig? Uh, Craig. 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 Is it? Yeah. Craig. Amy Hastings, uh, wasn't she, before she got married? Correct, yeah. 2.21.42. Yeah. yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, I remember when, it. When it was raining. That was the year you were over there, wasn't it? Didn't breathe oh, on that it? day? Was that that year? What year, Croaks? Uh, hang on. It was in 2018. Yeah. Nah, we were there 2019. Oh, were we? Yeah. Did it, I think it rained both years. Anyway, getting off track there. Uh, and also, speaking of Olympic marathon, so Mary Katani missed an Olympic medal by 27 seconds in London. Who were the top three? Uh, Tiki uh, Jelana, Jelana from Ethiopia. Jep2 from Kenya was oh, second. So she's tested positive since then. And Tatiana uh, Arifapova from Russia was third. Oh. Well, um, I'm not going to say anything there. Put her name into Google and see what comes up. Anyway, do your own inferencing there. What's coming up, fellas? Shoe Geeks coming up, end of September. Went to Patreon today. Good episode. Listen to it this morning. London Marathon's coming up. Sunday Arvo. Hopefully um, we got some way of kind of watching that. The Pillar Performance Comp on our Instagram. That also finishes this Sunday. Road to Nowhere's on Wednesday for the Patreon supporters at that level there as well. And then later in the week, hoping to have a, um, a release to go everywhere with Sinead and Eloise. So that should be, there's heaps coming up, isn't there, fellas? A bit going on here. Should be a good mm. week of content coming out. And then the interview, kind of spoke about at the start of the show, Steve Monaghetti. He's been on the on the podcast uh, twice before. And I've got to remind people, the only, only the most recent, like, 70 episodes are on, like, Spotify and iTunes and stuff. So if you want to listen to, like, all our early stuff... 
you've got to go to um, Podbean. So just type in like Inside Running Podcast Podbean, and then you get all the shows from day um, day one, episode zero, through to episode 204. So that's where Mona's like full-length interview would be. I think you did two parts, Moose. I think it was episode two like parts, 48 yeah. and 49. Brad had just had his kid. I was reading the show notes for it today. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. So two-part interview. I'm not sure how much of this stuff he spoke about when you talked about um, his, his long Well, I had interview. his whole career to talk about. Hard to fit that into 90 minutes, though, because we just went pretty much 90 minutes on two races today. Well, so, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it easy. Uh, that's his job, though, isn't it? He talks about running. That's, that's right. What he you does. can tell. Some people he charges some people three grand for that chat. I got <laughs> off the I got off the call and said that you'd drop a case of beers around there to him actually. So when you got oh, some spare you? time this week, yeah, drop a case. Bottle off. of Penfolds Grange, maybe. Yeah, Brad did make that joke, but I don't what know. Last chat. I don't know did enough he go about. Down? No, he did didn't go down real well. Yeah, I think he thought you were taking the piss out of him. <laughs> well, that was, it wasn't on that. What was it? No, nah, we had to cut it. He didn't respond oh, right. real well. No, nah, it was after oh. it stopped recording. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, 1990, he won the Berlin Marathon. It's a trip down memory lane. We just talk about all the kind of things around this one race and just like a master storyteller. Got to be the best in the business, doesn't he? Isn't he the oh, best easily. ambassador for Australian distance running? It was yeah. brilliant listening. Like, I'll, I'll, like it was just the way that um, he can actually recollect those things and he has the stories that he knows people like because I was listening. Like, I had a big drives today and I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is just like makes a half an hour segment of a drive just disappear because of the, the stories. Yeah, absolute legend. Absolute legend of the sport. So, uh, yeah, hopefully people enjoy that. What's coming up, Croaks? What are you doing between now and next week? Uh, so, yeah, I'll try and do a session on Friday. Um, and then Sunday I'll be watching the NRL Grand Final with a second screen set up to watch London. Who you got in the NRL Grand Final? Who will win it? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go for South. Who are you tipping, Moose? Who? What? <laughs> South Sydney versus Penrith. So Penrith lost last year to the Melbourne Storm. And, oh, yeah, the Storm. The Storm. Um, the Storm lost on the weekend. Penrith oh. beat them to make it through to the final. So And um, Penrith haven't won a grand final since, like, 1991. So they're, they're due, for, due for one. But uh, I'll go for South. Is the NRL like the AFL when people go, like, like Melbourne went, like, 57 years without winning one? Does that happen in the NRL? Um, yeah, so the, like Cronulla Sharks never won a premiership up until 2000, and I think they won in like 2016, um, and they ended the competition in like the 60s, I think it was, um, it was early 70s. Um, Parramatta, they haven't won a premiership since the 80s, so yeah, there's a few that mm. have been quite a while. Yeah, Moose, what are you doing between now and next week? Oh, I think that perhaps there'll be a baby next week. Perhaps we might have to... I don't know. How quickly do you, are you able to do a podcast after your wife has a baby? Mm. What's the general rule there? Probably wouldn't recommend doing it. Oh, it depends. She might be at the hospital for a couple of nights and then you might be coming home. You might be sitting at home bored. I think it's why would she be at the hospital? Because when you have a baby, that's generally where you go to have the baby at the hospital. No, I mean like afterwards. Yeah, they, sometimes they stay for like one or two nights. Like I think Carly was in for two. Nights. Are you private? Were you a private customer? No, we were public. 
doesn't oh, matter. Really? In, doesn't matter in a chuka though. You get oh, it's only small. I heard they get rid of you pretty quick down in Geelong. Do they clear you, clear you out? Get the get the beds ready for someone else. No, nah, we had a really good hospital experience. Like I remember walking out, just being like thanking them, like almost like bending over and bowing to them, like so grateful for what they do in there to do that job. Just make you feel so comfortable and just get the job done. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think Carla was in for three nights, maybe. And I stayed, really, I stayed the first night. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. How long were you in there for, Brad? Uh, I think t- Viv was two nights or two or three nights the first. Um, so when Lily was born, but like, you know, Lily was born at nine o'clock at night. So like that was the first night. And then I think she had maybe two after that. But Colas, with Colas, it was like one one night and then she was pretty much home. One night? Yeah, she didn't spend, yeah. Because I guess the second time around, it's like as long as the baby's healthy, you know, you've sort of been through it all before. Whereas I think for the first one, they – they do let you stay in a little bit longer just to make sure that, you know, that the mother's comfortable with breastfeeding and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy, Moose. Yeah, good luck, Moose. Hopefully, hopefully everything goes smoothly. Dang. Well, we don't know what will happen. We might, I might be talking next week and you can we can talk about the same things. We can. If you know the purpose yeah. of the week, I reckon. Something else you can buy in between now and then. It's it's got good reviews. The snoo. It does actually. I was still on the website. Yeah, it's four and a half out of five stars. You should get one. It's even got yeah. We've got a newborn coming as well. Yeah. Yeah, four point two uh, actually. It's got. Carly will know about it. Viv will know about. It. They would definitely have heard of a snoo before. I reckon. I don't reckon Viv will know have known about a snoo. Ask her I can, quickly. I can ask her. Hey, Viv. Oh, she's in the bedroom. Yeah, she's probably googling snoo right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got two hey, kids you, asleep throughout the night. Been, he doesn't need this. Here she is. Have you ever heard of a snoo before? A snoo. A baby device. It's called a snoo. Oh, a snooze thing. A snooze. Ah, oh, yeah. Rocking yeah. bassin. Yeah, she don't, She knows. She's, she knows. All mums know because they dream of it. What have you, what you have should you have got her one for her birthday. Instead of a treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> You've said it's too technical for us. <laughs> yeah you're old well for you she means for you yeah she's old at heart <laughs> all right i'm ending this conversation too all much right. baby chat see you boys talk next week bye see ya a bedrock of performance at the elite level micronutrition has been an integral part of high performance programs for years yet Programs have made do with products that don't fit their needs for too long. Formulations produced for mass consumption without elite outcomes in mind. Pillar Performance exists to change that, bridging the gap between pharmaceutical medicine and sports nutrition. Built on decades of elite sporting research and providing purposely formulated products featuring clinical strength ingredients. Pillar is led by a revolutionary joint longevity formula, Motion Armor, designed to support joint mobility and flexibility and reduce cartilage breakdown, perfect for runners with a high training load. Founded and formulated by athletes, alongside some of the sharpest minds in nutritional science, Pillar has been created to specifically support the rigors of high-performing athletes, covering every micronutrient they require year-round. Pillar's range also features products for energy optimization, immunity, and muscle recovery. The growing micronutrition choice of endurance athletes and teams across the AFL and NRL Pillar Performance is now available in pharmacy, sports nutrition stores, and online at pillarperformance.com.au.
All right, this week's guest on the Inside Running podcast was first interviewed back on episode number 48 and 49, and then was a special guest on Shoe Geeks in July 2020. This week, he joins us to recap his 1990 Berlin Marathon win. Welcome back to the Inside Running podcast, Steve Monaghetti. Nice to be back, guys, and obviously I'm going to indulge. How nice of you to reminisce. Seems a lifetime ago, but I'm happy to, um, happy to spend some time talking about it. Ah, oh, well, Berlin was yesterday, Mona, so we sat back and watched it on the TV. I know you uh, also watched your Mighty D's football club get up on the TV Saturday night, and it was your birthday in between there as well, so happy birthday for yesterday. So it's been a big few days of sport, and yeah, as you said, we're both, Brad and I, this kind of come about because we both started reading your book, um, the one that was published in 1996 in the long run, and we've just had such a good time reading it, and there's just so many amazing stories. We thought we have to get you on to kind of recap some of these stories because it's a bit hard to find your book as well. So um, there's a lot of listeners that won't have access to it, but hopefully get a bit out of some of these stories here today. Yeah, and you, thanks, guys, for putting the post up because ever since then I've had people complaining that they can't get it so thanks very much for giving me grief over social media because it's out of print you know we had a mm. we had a second run i'm not sure i think we printed five thousand something and another two or three thousand but it was um i think it was the number four um biggest seller in ballarat bookstores in in 1996 so there you go you don't That's have like a, you don't have a box at home sitting there anywhere that we can start selling some of our listeners they're all gone literally nothing they're all gone literally and the only place you'll get it is in the two dollar bargain bin at your at your local bookstore <laughs> you should <laughs> definitely do a re- definitely do a reprint monitor as i said off air like i'm a terrible reader but i finished this in three days because i just couldn't put it down so um you should do a reprint but also i reckon you should um produce a second book because there's obviously a lot of a lot happened from when this book finished to the end of your career and even stuff you did outside of running like chef to mission and all that sort of stuff yeah, I'd love to, Craig. It's something I've thought about. I just, you know, life sort of gets too busy, and I'm a terrible writer. I love talking, but um, can't write. That's why Pete Howley, and I think Pete Howley did a great job because he travelled with me so much and became such an integral part of the team that he knew sort of what. And a lot of times when you're doing the do, you don't kind of understand what's going on around you. So for him to sort of be along on the journey, play such an important role but also to see how it all kind of came together and happened. It was nice um, nice for him to write it from that perspective, but I'd love to write you know, another one just for maybe an update just because there's a lot of philosophies and thoughts that I've had now. When I was sort of in the game, you're a bit consumed by just your training and the focus. And since I've retired and you know, 20 years have passed, there's so much other stuff that I'd like to think that, you know, it's valuable, not just in marathon running and running in sport in general, but just in life. Mona, before you take us back to 1990, take us back to 96 and why the book was published then, like you still had two more Olympics to come. Um, What was the thinking behind getting it out at that stage? Well, that wasn't really my control, Pete. Um, Pete was his physiotherapist, I'm sure everybody knows, and and he'd had it sort of a bit of a change of um, life. So he'd um, um, got out of the physio practice and he'd actually um, bought a bookstore. And so it was kind of a, a new um, interest for Pete and, and he wanted to write. So he um, he said, oh, look, do you mind if we, um, you know, if I write the book for you? And I said, no, it'd be great. So that's kind of, and the timing would just happened to be then, 1996. So that's when it, obviously, I think it, 
was it after Boston or before? Just I think it was just after Boston. I think so. Boston gets in there, but um, you know, I, you never know what sort of career you're going to have. I didn't realise I was going to go to the world yeah. next year and have a ripper, and then obviously Paul was wrapped up in Sydney and finishing my career. And I seriously, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm sure you didn't you didn't get on to ask me this, but um, you know, when when I crossed the finish line in Sydney, and you know, I said, "Fellow like Victoria, Australia, over and out." I seriously thought, you know, that was it. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go back teaching. I'll probably get a job and, you know, you'll you'll never see me again. I didn't understand that because I was still running at such a high level, there was interest in getting me to events. And suddenly, you know, things just took off. And, and I've, you know, I've obviously been able to stay relevant and stay involved in giving something back to sport for 21 years since. So... I didn't realise there'd be a... I thought there might have been a chapter at the end of the book. I didn't realise there'd probably be a, you know, another book in, in my life since then because I, I didn't understand that I was going to have this um, this different career or continuing career to the level that I have. Well, even, yeah. reading, even reading the book, Mona, there was a period there after 92 Olympics where when you're reading it, you think, oh, you, you personally thought that maybe you had to go and get a full-time job and that was it. But then you, sort of, you, know, and then you think what happened after 92. It's sort of, you know, so much happened. I did, yeah, it was great. I remember, not, I tell people, 1994. 1994, I, I was unbeaten in the marathon. I only ran two. It's a good way to do it, isn't it? Um, but I think someone voted me, you know, road run of the year or something for that year. So, 94. But I seriously, when I finished and we had the debrief from Barcelona in 92, and uh, people may not know, but I, I had a, a manager um, that was an accountant, my accountant from here, who's still my accountant here in Ballarat, um, uh, Stephen Smith and I, I started managing myself then. So I'm now in in my home office, and this is a home office that I've been living and working in since that post Barcelona uh, event. So I seriously thought, well, you know, no one wants me anymore. I'm not going to have any sponsors, no um, no invitations to big race. I don't need a manager. I'm just going to look after myself, and I'm just going to fade away into the distance. And that was 1992 post Barcelona. So. I probably that was probably incorrect. To be fair to say, I think it probably wasn't quite the end of the road. It was just a little um, drink station um, mess up along the way. Well, let's go to nineteen ninety. So the decision to run Berlin, and obviously Berlin um, maybe wasn't the Berlin Marathon that we know now, but Nike wanted you to do it. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So I wasn't all that closely sort of wrapped up in the decision so um and we talked about stephen smith and um you know he he obviously had some conversations with different marathons around the world and i don't know what happened people do need to know that berlin wasn't that big a race then it was kind of trying to be one of the big races and i think with the reunification of, of germany so you know the um, berlin wall had come down in 89 so this was a massive year for, for Germany and for Berlin. So they wanted to have the race as a, as a centrepiece of that. And as it turns out, you know, we, we kicked off. There was a week of reunification celebrations and we started that on the Sunday morning. And um, so there was this conversation and um, I think I can mention that Reebok was the race sponsor and obviously Nike wanted to have a presence. So, you know, they were thinking, well, we're going to fix Reebok up. We're going to get Mona here, Nike athlete, to win the race and, you know, and um, and great um, ambush marketing. So that's where it all came from. And um, and in the lead up, you know, I, I, I didn't know 
how big Berlin was or what the event was. I knew it was a flat and fast course, so I was keen on running fast. What was on, on our minds was um, that Jalindo Bordin in, in Boston in 1990 had run the world's fastest time. So he ran 2.8. I'll, I'll probably get it wrong, but I think it was 2.8.19, and that was the fastest time for the year. So for me, you know, here was an opportunity because I'm thinking, well, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I'm going to either crack at that. And, you know, I'd ran, obviously, I'd ran 209.06, and, um, and I was keen to get under 209 and get in the 28s. And um, so it was, it was certainly a, an event that was built up nicely, not really around me. I, I, didn't, I didn't think, I thought there was probably, you know, 10 of us who were going there. I didn't realise the impact that I would have on that event. And we look at it now, and I feel really proud to think of the growth in the event. It's become the biggest and fastest marathon in the world now i reckon so it's been tremendous to see that growth and you know i, I was fortunate enough to go back a couple of years ago and they've got a, a you know hall of fame and and the first two people inducted into that berlin marathon hall of fame was um, uta pipik who won the women's that day and myself and that was just such a an, an emotional moment you know for me to go back after such a long period of time and and to be a part of such a massive event now yeah, and we were part of that in 2017. All three of us were, were. that year, which yeah. was pretty special. I remember you pinning Moose's uh, bib on in the elite, the sub-elite tent beforehand. He was getting a bit stressed, and you just calmed him down and got his bib pinned on at the back there, which was pretty cool yeah. to see. Um, but it was a great about... day for me, to be honest. Better for Moose and for you guys than me. Yeah, but talking about your form leading into this race, so you kind of went over there, You'd, um, I think you'd maybe come third at Beta Breakers, sixth at Boulder Boulder, uh, eighth at the pre-classic 5K, second at the Cascade Run in Portland, and then you came home and won the City to Surf, but you still hadn't got that big win overseas yet. And then two weeks out, the Great North Run, a pretty amazing performance there. You ran a world best at the time, 60-34, um, and you finally got that kind of big win. I did, and, and the win over... Douglas Wakahuri, who'd become my nemesis, and um, and that was just an amazing race. And again, that was just good timing, and you know we needed a lead-up race, and um, and uh, so that Great North Run half was was obviously going to be fast. Always liked a half um, prior to a marathon, see how you're going. And I remember getting there, and I was there. I think I was there by myself for a little while. And Gary Henry, who will be known to a few of you, rocked up and. Um, Anyway, I remember I was going pretty well. I was just having a quiet few days before the race. And I remember going out for a run with Gary. And I said, geez, I'm actually feeling pretty bloody good, mate. I think this is going to be big. And he um, he actually said, and I'm not sure if he said to me or to Nick Bideau, but he said, um, he said, oh, I think Mama's going to break the world record. And I didn't even know what the world record was, to be honest, or world best as it was. Um, and that race was unusual because... Yobas on the Eki, who held the world record for the 10K on the track, was designated pacemaker. And Yobas is a nice guy, but he had no idea how to pacemaker. <laughs> we were going, I don't know what we were doing the first 10K, because downhill, the old course, the downhill first 5K, we were hooting, and Yobas just kept going. And I don't know what we went through 10K in, it was bloody quick. And he had, he, because he ran so fast, I was just hanging on. And Douglas Wakuri struggled because we were so fast. So it was almost Yobas got rid of Douglas for me and I got kind of just dragged up into this really fast pace and then Yoga's got really tired obviously because he'd gone out so hard in the, in the back end and, and I just kept rolling on 
and I remember turning down to South Shields and, and running down towards the finish and um, turning around to the grass and crossing the finish line. And um, I think it was Brendan Foster or someone ran up to me, John Kane, ran up and said, oh, I think you might have broken the world record. And I said, oh, you think? Well, have I or haven't I? I said, oh, we're just checking. And, and sure enough, I didn't even know what the world record was. And sure, it was I think Mike Mosioki was 60. 43 or something so I had snuck under and, and I'm still to this day I'm really disappointed because it was a downhill course and so it's all, never really recognised I always got the asterisk beside it so I wish we had been able to run up the hill for the last you know 100 metres because obviously I still would have broken the world record and and um, but it was such a special moment for me and Nick but I was in that race and I remember beforehand geez, geez, I can talk some rubbish but I remember beforehand he said oh you're going to have to do something pretty special to get on the back page because Wayne Gardner or someone had won the, the um, Formula One Grand Prix and Collingwood were winning the grand final and anyway so he's got, he and he ran about 67 minutes so he wasn't far behind but um, I'm sort of waiting around and doing all the meetings sure enough I see Nick but I run through the finish shoot and he um, he crosses the line he's kind of puffing and I go um, I go um, oh well you know how you going mate you're talking about him and he said oh yeah you're good and he said, and I said, oh, do you reckon that'll do it? And he kind of goes, oh, what do you mean? I think I think I just broke a word, mate. And he said, well, I think that'll probably do it. So when we were doing media stuff, and, and I remember going across to a pub across the road, and and Nick, where there's people in the bar everywhere because everyone had finished the race, and um, and this is before mobile phones, and Nick's in there, and he's kind of going, oh, um, come on, I need to get through, I need to talk because there's a deadline. I'm not going to get to the Herald Sun. They're they're going to print the paper. We've got to get there anyway. He goes goes to the bloke behind the bar and goes, Hey, mate, this bloke has just broken the world record. I need to that phone. Get me the phone. I need to ring home. Everybody no, cleared the bar and we got it done. And um, that was a massive, massive uh, day. Now, I remember going to bed that night. I love telling this story. I was going to bed that night and my I couldn't sleep because my legs were sort of spasming and twitching because I'd ran so fast and physically. And then mentally I couldn't sleep because... I realised I'd run a half marathon faster than anyone in the history of the world. world yeah. It is an incredible feel. Everyone that's walked on the planet, I've run a half marathon faster than all of them. It was just an incredible feeling. Quiet kid from downtown Ballarat who was not that good as a kid. Suddenly I'd done something that was so memorable for me personally. And it's a memory I just treasure because I, I t- took that moment to appreciate it. And then, obviously, you know, jumped on a plane and off we went to Berlin, sort of. And it, there was massive interest then because I'd ran so well that they were pumping it up. So it was, it almost put extra pressure on me mm. because, you know, suddenly there was talk about world records and stuff. So it was, it was massive. Well, you won by 68 Gary seconds Henry as well. Gary Henry was right. I've got to give Gary, yeah. Gary Henry to credit. He was on the money. Yeah, he absolutely smashed him. And then... Talk us through this kind of like entourage that was traveling with you. So you kind of left uh, England, you guys went to Berlin. I think there was like seven of eight of you kind of guys in the Monteghetti Roadshow, which it was referred to in the book. And then it sounds like you kind of had a really good experience in Berlin in those two weeks in between um, Great North Run and then the Berlin Marathon. Yeah, we did. And, and you know, there was I was keen to have a, a good support crew around me. So um, Stephen Smith, who I've mentioned, and his wife came and... Um, uh, Margaret and Chris Wardlaw and Carmel came, so our coach and Pete and Jude. So we had a, a good group, and my wife Tanya was there, and um, and Nick. But I've been following me around, writing um, articles for the Herald Sun back home here. So we did have a, a really good crew. It was just a fantastic time, and it settled me. 
And I was so glad that they were there because I was getting, you know, I was just getting caught up in the hype and the expectation. And um, the great story I remember is that we were we'd flown in from uh, from England and uh, finally got to Berlin. We we're renting a house and um, we we're in um, West Berlin. And it was like four or thirty at night or something. Hadn't got my run done for the day, so we sort of chucked the bags in the in the in the house and said to Pete Howley, because Pete did a little bit of running, said, "Oh, look, I've got to get my run done." So we sort of just got changed really quickly. We ran. We didn't know where we were going to go, and we sort of thought, "Oh, we'll just go out the door and um, down the road." And we went down, and after about three hundred meters, we came to East Berlin and, and the Berlin Wall, and most of it was still up. So we act, there was a hole in the wall in the concrete. So we actually scrambled through this hole in the wall to to get into East Berlin, and it was like as we went through that wall, it was like stepping back in time because it was so grey and dark and old. It looked like nothing had happened there since bloody 1950, then whatever it was. So we we actually then got to run around in East Berlin like it really was. And it was just such a, um, a an amazing experience to be seeing East Berlin, you know, as um, as it existed during the Cold War period. So, and you know, that's the sort of experience that you appreciate. That here I was in this city that was going through such a transformation, one of the most historic events of the 20th century, and, and we saw that firsthand. And um, you know, those little stories along the way, and and the, you know, the other the, the other great story. I, we talk about the. Um, I had that entourage, and and we. I remember I was doing the depletion, and Nick Bedeau, in his in his genuine interest, that said, "If you're going to do the depletion, Mon, I want to, you know, get a feeling for what you're going through. So I'm going to do the depletion as well." Remember, we went to this fancy restaurant. I think it was the Wednesday night. I was still on the depletion Tuesday, Wednesday night. And we've gone to this fantastic restaurant, and Stephen Smith and all the team, and Tanya and all the others have got these. They bring their meals out. They got this fantastic big on, you know, big bloody spread. I remember when the waiter came round and he said to um, said, "Oh, and what about you two guys? What are you going to have?" And and uh, Nick said, "Oh, we just have steak, you know, just meat." No, no. And the guys going because you get a bit grum, grumpy when you're on the depletion. You haven't got any energy, and and um, and the guy goes, "Oh, you know what? What would you like with that?" Nick goes, "Nothing, meat, just meat, <laughs> just nothing. Else. Just straight and go. You got it, meat. Go away." Anyway. Um, so everyone else has got their food and they're hoofing into this great meal. And our meals come out and we've got this big plate and the big tin cover over it. And the, the, all the waiters come around and, and they've got their hands on the top and they lift off the, these big, big tins and there's this little bit of steak in the middle of the plate. And Nick Bidot's almost started crying. <laughs> He's kind of going, oh, I'm sad Because uh, the depletion was so tough on us. So, um, so that was one of the stories. And the other great story it's, it's, a, it's a long story but you're getting you're getting the story um firsthand you know that we're in the lift we'd watched a movie in england beforehand called down by law which was a, a terrible movie but john lurie was one of the stars in it anyway we're in the lift this one time this is in berlin in the lift we just got back from run and we're going to something chris wardler and myself the the doors open in the lift a guy walks in and i could just see chris just getting really nervous and he's kind of going oh this is a bit weird and um, anyway, turns to this guy and he goes, oh, you know, I loved you in this and I loved you in that. And, you know, how are you going? And, and I'm kind of going, well, what's the hell? How's Chris know this guy? Anyway, um, the guy said, um, yeah, yeah, oh, thanks, you know. And um, Chris goes, John Lurie, it's just an absolute pleasure to meet you. What are you doing in Berlin? He said, oh, 
I'm in a band, John Lurie and the Lounge Losers, and we're playing here on, on Sunday night or something. And um, anyway, and the, the lift opened and John left. And Chris Walter turned to me and he goes, that's it, mate. You were going to win the Berlin. And I said, who was that? He said, that's John Lurie. He was in that movie we watched the other night. He's a famous actor. This is just, it's all just come, serendipity. It's fate. You're definitely going to win. And um, I do remember he said, um, Chris, when we're in the lift, Chris, turned to me and goes, oh, this guy here, he's he's going to win the Berlin Marathon on Sunday morning. And um, and John Lurie goes, well, when he's up on the dais, can you tell him to give us a plug and say, John Lurie in the lounge list is playing down this local bar, you know, give us a, give us a get the crowd um, in the building. So Chris knew I was going to win, so it was all set up beautifully. So there are just a couple of the stories you have along the way that made that experience just fantastic. Yeah, but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Like there was a bit of like political unrest and a few protests and stuff going on in the streets, like leading up to the race. Yeah, as it would be, and that's um, you know that's how it should be, and that's part of you know the politics that was happening, and and that was what made it such a, a big event. And there was yeah, there was a bit of neo-Nazi stuff happening, and so it was a bit a bit um, oh, a bit edgy. But we were, I didn't get caught up in all of that. It was something I was pretty uh, comfortable with, and. And, you know, they looked after us really well. So we were, we were, and we were, you know, we were, they were really happy to have us there. So I think the Berlin Marathon itself brought so much um, personality to that week and so many people had come into the town. So it was a pretty big build up to the event. And, you know, I'm not sure people know, but um, obviously, you know, no one had been through the Brandenburg Gate. We look at the Brandenburg Gate now, but it was all blocked off. And they'd start, they said the race is going to go through there. And then they sort of got a bit nervous in the week leading in. So we're kind of going, well, we're hoping we'll get through there. We might have to run around. We're going to, you know, we're going to have got this alternative route. You're going to go down through there. Anyway, I remember a couple of days before, still had all the scaffolding up. I thought, yeah, no, I knew they couldn't get it together. This is not going to happen. It was too famous. We're not going to be able to run through there. And, um, and sure enough, on the morning I got up, we were staying at a hotel. was just near the course, near the... Um, um, the park and I sort of went for a bit of a walk and I looked down because this is in the old course we went through the Brandenburg Gate at 3k mark so I looked down the, the main street um, of the course where, where we ran a couple of years ago and I saw and all the scaffolding had come down and I suddenly for the first time in my life I thought wow we are actually going to run through the Brandenburg Gate we are going to go through the Brandenburg Gate that no one has been through in whatever it was 33 years and it, it, suddenly I realised, wow, this is going to be a pretty special um, run. And so um, so I realised then that they were going to get it happening. And, you know, without jumping forward, but, um, you know, there was, I think I was 16th through the Brandenburg Gate because shoe companies paid people just to sprint for the first 3K to get through the Brandenburg Gate first because that was a money shot. And um, the other thing I, I, that, you know, I mentioned about Uta Pippig winning the women's race, um, she was East German had defected to West Germany so that she could run and all that sort of stuff. So for her, when she ran through the Brandenburg Gate, she cried. It was such an emotional thing for her to go back through there. She hadn't been there for a couple of years, so for her to go back through there, and it was a really emotional uh, moment for her. And then, obviously, she went on to win the race, so it was, um, it was such a such a, an appropriate finish for, the, for her to win that race in such an historical year. Yeah, so many special moments. And then I think on the day it was 10 degrees, low winds. You guys kind of checked out the course a few days before and kind of thought that if you're going to make a move, it's going to be like 32K when there was a bit of a hill. 
And then things kind of, I think, from reading the book panned out that way. You did miss a few drinks early on. I think you missed your 5K and your 10K and had to double back to get your 15K drink. So, like, did that unsettle you a bit early in the race? Yeah, proves you have read the book. That's yeah. true. Even got, I, got I some notes here. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually went a fair bit past. And, you know, I was kind of, I'd gone past, I'd missed those early couple. It wasn't was cold so i kind of thought well maybe i don't need it was perfect conditions bit of misty rain and and i kind of was so i'm running past thinking what am i going to do here do i really need this so i thought yeah i do and after i reckon i was i was probably only 10 meters past but felt like it was 30 or 40 so i've turned around and gone back and picked it up and obviously it was pretty early on we were cruising so it wasn't a big deal for me to go back and get it but it was a good one to get because i'd missed a couple before that so i think um you know people who ran marathons know what a what a shit fight it is at the drink station. So it was nice um, that I made sure I got that one, and I think that just helped me in the back end. And um, I've travelled pretty well, uh, you know. I was there were some pacemakers. I, I basically I'm not sure how it kind of panned out. I think because of the um, half, I was kind of the favourite, and so all the pacemakers were looking around. It was like I had, it was like I had a personal um, posse with me. I had two or three people who basically one most particularly was kept looking back at me, making sure the pace was right and. We're right on the money. We went through halfway in 64.04, and I was just absolutely jogging. It's the easiest 64.04 I've ever done in my life, and it was just um, fantastic to know that it was set up perfectly. And um, as you say, you know, we thought about the course, and there's a little hill, and just after the hill, there were a couple of little tricky turns. And once you get out of sight, you know, once you're out of um, line of sight from second, it's a really... um, psychologically a really positive thing so that was where i was going to go and sure enough that that's what happened and i and i kind of kicked away never it wasn't a done deal let me tell you i had to run right through to, to the finish line to um hold off shahanga because he, he he was holding me pretty well but it was not even i was only eight or nine seconds i think in the end but it was a, a pretty um good way to finish and i was feeling good and chris wardlaw happened to be in the lead car and to this day and i'm not going to downplay deke's record but we thought I probably could have went through, you know, if I'd have went through in 63.50, picked up whatever it was, 20 seconds there, you know, it wouldn't have been a big, it wouldn't have mattered too much at the back end. So we always thought I was travelling really well through halfway. It was probably a chance to run even a bit quicker had I needed to, but as it turns out, I didn't need to and I won. And, you know, it was it was under that four-inch time and the fastest time in the world that year. And would you believe the 13th fastest marathon I'm not sure if it was 13th fastest marathon time or I was the 13th fastest marathon person in history at the time. Because we look now and, you know, people are popping out 201s, 203s, like dime a dozen. But back then, to run 208 and 16, that was the 13th fastest person in history. So it was a, you know, it was a massive run for me um, to be able to run that quick and obviously to win the race in such an historic place. Hey, Moner, it's um, a good lesson there about you know the importance of drinks because i know so many recreational runners like don't want to you know give up some time to stop and get a drink if they've missed it but you know obviously you showed that it's it's really important um when it started to get tough you received a message from somebody pretty important in the days leading up what was going through your head to keep you sort of focused in those later stages do you remember no Oh, you need to read your book again. So, the prime, um, the prime minister, the prime, the prime minister sent you a message in the days leading in. Bob Hawke, Bob Hawke, that I was yeah. reciting. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And believe it or not, I'm, I was at my um, at 
my mum and dad, they're still alive. Mum's in a home, but dad's still in the home that I grew up in. And I found a bag of old um, cards, congratulately messages and um, and faxes, as we call them, and herograms. No one listening would know what a herogram is and telegrams. Would you believe I, I got one from um, from Bob Hawke that I kept and um, Paul Keating. So, um, yeah, so... Yeah, that was the type of stuff that I tried to call in because it was such a, a big moment. You know, when, you, when you're hurting, you've got to call in that stuff. You know, I often tell the story, you guys know, you know, looking down at the Australian crest on your singlet when you're running for your country, that's, that's what gets you over the line because physically you're stuck, you're knackered and you just want to stop because it's hurting so much. But I knew that this was a famous victory. I knew that um, Bob Hawke was watching. There's lots of people at home. There wasn't social media like we have now. You know, half of Australia was watching that race. So for me, it was more than just about me. It was me putting Australia on the map at such an historic world event. And um, and that message from Bob Hawke was just the thing you call in that gets you through those tough moments when, um, when you want to... Um, stop or you you know want to slow down but you just keep going and they're the things i call in and that works well for me doesn't work for everybody but for me it was um something that was it worked really well mentally to make sure it wasn't um i wasn't going to chuck it i'm pretty good you know i'm pretty tough i don't i tend to run i've never not finished a race in my life and she goes no so it was always going to happen it was just to, for me to make sure i did the best of my ability you said it was pretty close, um, like the race, but was there a period towards the end of the, of the race where you knew you had it won and you could really enjoy it? Like, was it 400 metres out? Was it a K out? Like, when did you know you had it won? Yeah, because it was only 16 seconds back to second. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, was pretty clear then, wasn't it? I was probably in control. You know, I was running so well. Interestingly, I, I never enjoyed the moment like you think I did probably the 94 Commonwealth Games I got to because I was a long way ahead but I was running pretty fast that day and I, I kind of I don't know there was something about that time that that 2819 that I wanted to break so I was pretty focused and and I, I don't ever remember enjoying the the finish or until I got through the finish line and I think you see that famous photo of me sort of that grimace as I'm crossing the finish line and that showed for me. I didn't. I didn't celebrate until I really ran through the um, through across the, the line, and then the the um, the it sort of all sunk in the, the momentous victory. But up until then, I was going pretty hard. So I certainly didn't. And I don't like. I'm not big on people celebrating till they cross the finish line. You know, as it turns out now, you know, I, I probably wish I had ran a bit quicker and. And faster, and I look back and think of that. So I'm glad that I kind of ran through to run. And it's my PB. I never ran quicker than I did then. So that moment, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. Go for it. You've got plenty of time afterwards. Here we are, you know, 31 years later talking about it. You can talk about it forever afterwards. So when you're in the moment, do the best you possibly can so that I can look back now and say, you know, I'm proud of that win and, and how I ran that day. And that's because I put in and gave 100% of the time. Mona, there was a sense of like you'd prove the doubters wrong after this result. Like you'd you'd won a big race overseas, mm-hmm. and I think you recalled a story in your book how you're in the pub and someone yelled out to you before this race, like when are you actually going to win one of these big races? And like you must have had that sense after the race that you know you've, you've ticked that box now, and you yeah, I'm sure your confidence grew. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. What did I yell at? Hey, Mona Getty. When are you going to win one? <laughs> uh, and those things come. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a really proud person who 
thinks that they do the best they possibly can. And there was, you know, it was funny because I sort of started, you know, Commonwealth Games, bronze medal. I, I went backwards, you know, I went third, I went fourth at the Worlds and fifth at the Olympics, so pretty good. And then, you know, London second. And so there was sort of this, this, and even I had the belief, and as a kid I grew up, I finished third in every race. I never won one. I used to finish third in races all the time. So even I was starting to think, well, hey, I'm consistent, I'm strong, but, you know, I'm not a winner. So for me, and there was such a great build-up, I come off the, the half result, everything was set. If I didn't win this one, whenever was I going to win one? So it was kind of, it was nice that I could deliver what I, I don't think I could win any other race up until then. This one, I was destined to win, and it was nice for me to deliver on that feeling like I was the best runner in the race. And I look back at my career, and most of the times when I'm the best runner in the race, I won. And that's pretty satisfying. You know, there's no, I don't look at any races and go, geez, I should have beat that guy. Because to be honest, I always ran above myself. And, and on that particular day, I still ran above myself. There was just no one in front of me. Hey, um, Mona, after the race, I found this quite interesting that um, they had like a podium and you got up there and there was the flag and the anthem. Was, it, was that a common thing? Like, I don't know whether they do that at major marathons anymore, that they actually like, yeah, obviously have a presentation, but play national anthems? No, I'm not sure why, what the significance of that was. Maybe because they realised that, that the world was, uh, their attention was of the world was on them at the time. And I think they were trying to build the event up to be something more than just this sort of city marathon. So I think they were bringing extra components to it. And, and because it was the week of the reunification, it was really a world event. So I think that was probably an aspect that they brought to, to the event that to make it a bit different and a bit special. And, you know, I'm not sure. I don't think they do it. I don't think they're probably not allowed to do it, but um, they got away with it then. I do remember, I won a, won a Mercedes-Benz. I'm not sure if, if yeah. people know that, but um, that was one of the prizes. I remember John Bannon, who was um, the Prime Minister, uh, the Premier of South Australia, he was running over there. He got the keys, and he was he was more excited about the bloody Mercedes than I was, I've got to tell you. But it was a, um, it was a very nice, very nice car, a 300-series Mercedes-Benz. And um, anyway, we, we didn't actually accept that prize, so we took... The money value, monetary value, was about 63000 I think. We converted it and we just took the money and, and put it to a Mercedes-Benz over here. So Stephen Smith spoke to Mercedes-Benz Australia and um, and got that money put to a, a, a car here. So I drove that, kept that car from 1990. I got it in 1991 and, and so I updated it, traded in on another Mercedes in 2006. So I had a great run with that car it was just a terrific you know it's not often you get to sort of drive around in your in your prize from a from a marathon there that you, yeah. you won so and i do remember that was the other story about when i came home we flew home we i think we traveled around a bit afterwards and we flew home steve smith had organized the mercedes-benz to have the car at the airport when i got there when, when we arrived back and um i couldn't you know so i got the keys were somewhere i'm not sure we'd organized it and i went out into the car park and and here's this mercedes benz waiting for me and uh, remember going this is at the in the um multi-story car park at, at melbourne airport and at tullamarine and they had booths back then so they didn't have automatic credit card phone they had booths where you'd go up and you'd give your ticket parking ticket to the guy the lady at, in the booth and um, and pay your money anyway i've rocked up to the booth and i couldn't 
I didn't know how to wind the window down. I'm thinking, hey, where's, the, where's the window winder? So I actually got out of the car, went over to the guy behind the booth and said, you know, how much is my ticket? How much is it? And paid for it and got back into the car, you know, closed the door and drove off. He must have been thinking that bloke's just stolen that car. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to bloody get them. Because I'd never had a car with electronic windows before. So uh, the storage it had. So um, that was my Mercedes-Benz that was the prize at the that I drove around, and you know, he's this young kid. Well, I don't even know what I, was, how old was I? Twenty seven, twenty eight, driving around in a Mercedes downtown Ballarat. A happy day. Yeah, and uh, you also won a Nike leather jacket off the off the Nike rep Ian Campbell. He told you a couple of days before if you had a good run, he'd organise a jacket for you. He did, and I've still got that here. And it was the the Michael Jordan. Um, jacket and and Ian Campbell, who's also over there, and you know Nike was a big thing for them, and it was just it, it, everything sort of came together really nicely. But I love that jacket. We're out for dinner a couple of days before, and said, "Geez, bloody nice jacket." And he said, "If you win, mate, I'll give you that jacket." And and if you see the footage, can't quite see it in the face, but as I cut through and there's sort of the the, the lanes. Um, Ian Campbell's right there, and um, he's one of the first guys to come up and um, congratulate me. And uh, he, true to his word, I've still got that jacket in my my hot little hand. Well, not in my hot little hand now, but in in the house here that um, I wear regularly. It's a great jacket and a great reminder. The flight Nike flight jacket. Yeah. I can't wow. remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. But was this? So was it after this marathon that your travel plans changed, where they wanted you to go over to the US for photo shoots? Was that that one? Very good memory. You, Craig, you're onto it. So, so we um, again, and these, this is what happens. You know, I, again, I couldn't, couldn't believe, couldn't believe this. Everyone else flew home, and Tanya and I, would you believe, in three days? So, we hanging out at the at the Australian embassy because we had to get a, a visa to change our flight. So Nike were keen on me doing a photo shoot. So, we actually within three days we were in Florida down at the Everglades filming a, um, a, a poster shot and you know you may it's not the shot that moose has got in the in the store but it's the, it's the poster shot of me in the in a nike bright yellow jacket um in really good form looking like a sprinter and um that was a massive uh, massive few days down there because there was a film director who was hard really hard i was getting up at about three in the morning because he wanted the light out of the everglades to be nice so we're getting up three driving two hours out of this place and he's sitting in he's a big big solid bloke sitting in his director's chair and smoking he's just kind of going nah come on get your legs up a bit higher can't can't you run a bit faster <laughs> you know and he's sitting there and i'm just doing all of these run throughs up this bloody airstrip in the everglades thinking oh my god i've just ran a friggin' marathon mate <laughs> i can't get my legs he wanted my legs up at you know horizontal and i think in the end he said, ah, that bloody Australian can't deliver. So I think he tilted the camera to make it look like I was getting my legs horizontal. But yeah, that was, and that was, you know, that was the life of the jet setting uh, world marathon star. And, um, yeah, and that, was, that was our experience down in the Everglades in Florida. Do you still have a copy of that picture? I do, but I'm not, normally I'm pretty good. Um, might get you to send. Can I run and get it? Yeah. Oh, it's all right. Maybe just get you to send through a um a photo of it. We can a maybe put it, up it. On our, put it up on our socials or something. Yeah, it'd be yeah. great to see. Yeah. yeah, it's a ripper. It's a beauty. Makes me look my form. You know, I'm not the prettiest looking runner. I look pretty good in that picture. Hey, Mona, thank you so much for sharing about like the you know 
as we said, 31 years ago, and there's a lot of listeners who won't be able to read your book because they can't find it, and you've kind of just recapped a digital version of it that hopefully sits on the internet for, for years and years to come, and then people can get some fond um, you know, recollections from, from that experience you had over there. And I know so many listeners will appreciate hearing your 1990 Berlin Marathon win today. Oh, Braden Craigs, I've loved it. You you can tell I can't even remember them, so it's been fantastic to me to reminisce. Thanks, guys. I've just got oh, sorry, yeah. I've got one, yeah, just one more, just because Brady loves hypotheticals, and there's no way that there's no way that you're ever going to regret running a world's best half marathon. But in hindsight, like two weeks out from a major marathon, like a really hard half marathon, do you think it cost you some time in the marathon? Yeah, I don't think it did, but it was a risk, and I wouldn't do it now. That's a fact, and I get my athletes, and I wouldn't run a half marathon within, like three weeks is okay, but two weeks is a bit close. I got away with it. I had my physio there. I had I was in the best shape of my life. It was great for my confidence leading into the marathon. So mentally, it was really worthwhile, but I do think physically, there could have been a risk. Luckily, you know, I got away with it and it didn't affect me, but uh, I had a bad blister on the back of my foot, so we're worried about that for the first few days. So probably having that just allowed me to not do too much running because I think sometimes people underestimate how tired you can get out the back of a half marathon and you don't um, probably appreciate it as much as you should leading into the marathon itself. But I got away with it, but it could have went went the other way. So a great hypothetical and something <laughs> I probably wouldn't um, recommend now. But in reading the book, it feels like after that race, it was a real page turner for your confidence and your mental state. Like it was almost like, like it's questionable if you might've been able to do that at Berlin if you didn't do that two weeks earlier. Cause it sounds like you were just so confident leading into Berlin after that. Yeah. And that's obviously, that was the benefit of it. That was the risk we took, but you know, the risk, you know, I, I delivered in spades on it because it just lifted me so much. Well, I, obviously, I knew I was in fantastic shape. And you think I ran 60-34 and I go through in 64-04, three, you know, three and a half minutes mm. slower. That's differential. I was just jogging. And, of course, I was just jogging. I don't have to say it. The stats show it that I was three and a half minutes better than that. And imagine all the other guys in the field thinking, oh, you know, here's this guy who's just jogging. He's ran 60 and a half two weeks ago, how are we ever going to beat him at the back end? He must be just cruising here, and I was. So there were some real benefits I got out of that for my own personal mental state, but also just psychologically over the opposition. Awesome, Honor. Thanks so much for all those stories, and, um, yeah, I'm sure the listeners really appreciate your time you've given us here today. Oh, I've enjoyed it. I hope the listeners do enjoy it too. Thanks, Brady. Thanks, Craig. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leaders in sports micronutrition. Head to pillarperformance.com.au to learn more about their formulations for joint longevity, recovery and energy.